Hey everyone, this is episode number 117 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is December 4th, 2018. I'm Robert Ring. Joining me today is Jay Totoro. Hello, sir. And Jay and I were, we decided it was time to have another one of our podcast friends on, to have a guest on, and uh, we were trying to decide who to have, and we realized that we have a friend podcaster that we know that we actually haven't really had on the show before. Everyone welcome, Chase the Night Cleaner. Hey, how's it going? Good, how about you? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, I'm on one of the most respected classic gaming yep. podcasts out there. So yes, the compliments you know, start. I just yeah. Well, in the email it said specifically, as long as you continue to compliment us, you can stay on and talk. So I'm I'm just gonna do. You read it, Robert. You read it, Robert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I read I read the email, but yeah. Uh, no, seriously, thank you for having me on. Um, thank you for joining us. I've been emailing you guys since before my child was born. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Yeah, and he's over two like now, so we're doing all right. Uh, yeah, like just crazy. Dave, um, he's more than two so now. Yeah, he's over two. He's uh, he's like uh, two and three months. Wow. Damn. Yeah, been at this in a while. Well, uh, Chase, before we get rolling with the regular part of the episode, why don't we talk about uh, Learn from Gaming podcast for a second? So that is your podcast. Learn from gaming <laughs> podcast. It is. <laughs> or learn from okay, gaming. Cool. You should yeah, know this. Yeah, no, it is. It's learn from gaming uh, podcast. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Our website has been down for a little while. Um, I, I'm not going to go into the specifics as to why. Um, but, uh, well, no. I'll, like, I can I can give, like, a brief summary. Basically, I used WordPress, and WordPress allows you to use, like, third-party plugins. Mm-hmm. One of the third-party plugins that I was hosting the podcast on um, became a pay to use and then like <laughs> retroactively eliminated all of its other versions and collapsed our site. Wow. So, Damn. So, um, I'd never seen that before, but that happened. And then I was just like, you know what? We're just, I'm going to set on the domain name and I'll resurrect it when I've got some spare time. Cause I've been a little too busy to do that, but yeah, learn from gaming podcast. What we do is, um, myself and my co-host Stu, we just, uh, we pick games, we discuss why we like them. We discuss what we learn from them. We also sort of do deep dives into contemporary gaming news and um, just, um, usually stuff about learning or psychology around gaming. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, we, we also read any emails that get sent in. We read, we read an email from Robert, uh, which was just swear words. Um, so, <laughs> when was that? I don't even remember that. Was, that. I don't know. That was like, like episode long... five, six. Uh, so was, okay. Yeah, what, was, was, was there any content whatsoever? Um, no, yeah. no, it was just okay. your name and then swear words. <laughs> uh, it was pretty good. Okay, um, but yeah. So uh, if you feel like it, check it out. It's on uh, like we're on Google Sound, we're on iTunes. So basically, any streaming service you can find us. Uh, it's Learn from Gaming Podcast, and yeah, we'd appreciate it. Check it out. Uh, email us. Let us know what you think. Hell yeah, yeah. Check them out yeah, for man. sure. Um, Chase, uh, to get to know you a little bit, I would like oh. to know what your favorite video game is ever. Favorite? That is such a cruel question. You didn't even tell me you were going to ask that question. Holy oh. smokes. Jay, you got to help me. You got to help me here. How how can I just answer Listen, that? I have two um, games that I talk about every single podcast. That's all I know how to do. <laughs> well, well, no, that's fair. Um, 
Oh my god, you put me on the spot. What are um, all right, what are three that come to your mind when I ask that okay. if, if you don't yeah, have Yeah, no, one? easy. Uh if I if I have to give three. Um okay, so three like Final Fantasy Six, uh okay. incredibly solid game. Um Masters of Orion two. Uh, I oh, know cool. you're not as big of a fan, but again, yeah. I played it in its heyday, and it right. was awesome back then. Um, and then, ooh, this last one. You know what? You know what? Jay talked about it last week. So Mega Man 2, I love that game. Oh, really? It Like, start to finish, that game is solid. It's got, like, a few of those point-and-click adventure kind of moments where it's like, if you didn't do things right, you're dead, and that's the end. But... Um, but it's uh yeah i have i grew up playing um mega man and like i grew up playing final fantasy mega man and uh forex strats so okay that encapsulates my life awesome do you have do you have a favorite genre or period or system or anything like that or just kind of whatever's good oh man no i you know what i like everything it's it's really hard not to like everything um and as I get older, I just like even more things. I'm starting to get a little over first-person shooters. Um, you know, I have but... been for a while myself. Yeah, but... Um, I'm actually right there with you guys. I realized that more and more recently, especially with all the, the um, Battle Royales that have come out recently. Uh-huh. It has really shown me like how much I just have not enjoyed that genre anymore, or I do not enjoy that genre anymore. Well, it's just crazy to think that it's been... Like, uh, shooters have been, like king of the hill for decades literally decades um like mobas were sort of in a position where they could maybe overcome them um and then that just sort of receded again because like fortnite and uh battle or uh, battlegrounds just sort of went sorry no <laughs> um but uh but yeah i you know what i like everything I, I love fighters i love rpgs jrpgs especially i love turn-based i love um rts like you name it, I've played it. Nice. Yeah, man. So, okay, awesome. Let's get rolling then with the episode. Um, let's talk about some uh, non-classic boobs? gaming... Huh? Boobs? I said news, but... Classic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like, okay, so honey pops on sale again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Um... This is not classic gaming related in any way, but I can't not. I have to talk about Fallout, Where is this going? Fallout 76. Oh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> this is going to be good. Okay, yeah, I'll just let yeah, you guys know. This talk. is sort of news, I guess. Yeah, so we talked. We did talk about the game briefly last episode. This was before a lot of other stuff blew up. So the game is. So, first off, if you haven't somehow heard, the game is shit and it's extremely buggy. Uh, many, many problems with it from the quality of the game itself to technical problems to it's just supposedly terrible. Uh, we talked about that last time. What's happened since then is kind of a hilarious and terrible series of events. Uh, all related to, many of you have probably heard, the canvas bag <laughs> in the collector's edition. So, the collector's edition of Fallout 76. And I, again, I'm assuming most people who listen... To this, I've probably heard this, but I still got to talk about it just because it's so hilarious. Oh, you got to talk about it, yeah. Uh, the collector's edition of Fallout 76 came with various things, of course. Um, one of them being 
uh, a canvas bag, a pretty nice looking like fallout bag, um, you know, kind of like a tote bag or an overnight bag type thing. And uh, <laughs> when people finally received this in the mail, it's made out of like a super shitty nylon material. Nothing, like definitely not canvas. Uh, even for nylon, it looked pretty terrible. Uh, it was really cheap material, looked horrible, wasn't anything at all what it was advertised as. Like, did you guys actually see any pictures of it? Because yeah. the best way I can think to describe it, it's it was made out of like, the, if like whenever you buy a new suit, you know the like nylon cover, like zip up things that new suits come in? That's the material that this bag was made out of. Ugh. Um, no, I I didn't look too deep into it. I just there's been so much negative press about it. I just sort of let it ride. <laughs> okay, um, but I can imagine. Like it's so easy to to imagine, just mm-hmm. because there's so many bad stories coming out about this game. It's like it's so sad. It was like cheaper material than the free bags they give you at conventions. Um, but so anyway, <laughs> that's what the bag was made out of, and somebody called him out on it and asked him about it on. Uh, on Twitter, I believe, and uh, actually, hold on, let me pull up. Oh, shit. I had this had the link to the exact quote earlier. Uh, give me just a second. I gotta. I have to pull this back up. Okay, here we go. Somebody emailed them and said, "Hey, this is not at all what you guys said it was going to be, and it's not what was in the picture. This is a cheap ass bag made out of nylon. This is not a canvas bag." <laughs> and the person emailed them back. The person from the Bethesda help desk said, hello, I'm, this is verbatim. Hello, we are sorry that you aren't happy with the bag. The bag shown in the media was a prototype and was too expensive to make. We aren't planning on doing anything about it. <laughs> yeah. At least they're direct. You know, at least they're honest. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so, um, that instantly became a meme. So we, so... We have three awesome memes this year. We have the uh, Star Wars Battlefront uh, 2 sense of pride and accomplishment for buying characters or whatever. And then we have, Jay, the the cell phone one. Uh, Everybody has cell phones, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And now we have... Everybody has cell phones. Now we have Fallout 76. We aren't planning on doing anything about it. So then... We've still um, got the Game Awards. They, 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 they oh, that's right. <laughs> we gotta wait till it's Thursday. Not happen. See what else happens. Yeah, very good point. Um, so they said it, it was sorry, it was too expensive. We aren't planning on doing anything about it. Then, um, then Bethesda came out and said that suppose well, they said that employee was wrong. Um, it wasn't that it was too expensive. It was that there's a there's a shortage of materials. So oh, the, the great uh, canvas shortage of 2018. Uh-huh. That's that's what everybody started saying. Oh right, the the great canvas shortage of 2018. Everybody knows that canvas is so hard to come by now. Um and then like a few oh, days God. after that it just gets worse. <laughs> then, to and make then... up to make up for it. Then... Bethesda to anybody who ordered this special edition Bethesda issued uh, $5 worth of in-game currency. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> Which, I'm like, sorry. Isn't, oh my god. They're, no. Come Which on. isn't yeah. even... 
isn't even good enough to buy like anything good first off <laughs> like yeah no that that like if we're talking if we're talking like dollar to dollar value like that goes down every second somebody pointed out that there's a, <sighs> that there's a some sort of skin or something that you can buy that has the the, <laughs> the same bag Oh no! And, and it costs more than fits more oh, than no. five dollars. That's the stop. Just <laughs> supposed to be the chosen ones. What the fuck? And then, oh, oh, what is then? People We're found so out salty, so that quick. the copies they sent to YouTubers had a real canvas bag. <laughs> of course they did. Oh my god, dude! What? Jesus, hey, you want to know how to piss off your consumers really quickly? <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> it's like it's like a competition this year. Like, how, how much can we piss off our consumers? Oh, hold my beer. Let me fucking try this. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It was like it was like Blizzard said the thing about uh, everybody has phones, and then Bethesda was like, hold yeah. my beer. <laughs> yeah, hold my beer. Let me show you. Let me show you what it's like to look really stupid. <laughs> you know, there's yeah, still time. I, I'm just gonna say it. There's still time. There's yeah, still who, time who's gonna surpass him? Who do you think is going to surpass him? Let's, let's, let's take a bet here. We just we got to wait. We got to see what happens at the game. Yeah, yeah we might get another. What was it? Shikman? What was the race releases on Friday? Let's see how <laughs> That's bad they true. that up. That comes out. There's plenty of opportunity for with that and um, especially the as Chase said, the Game Awards coming up. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how much want to bet? How much want to bet the uh, the Smash Bros. thing? They're gonna have issues with their servers day one. You're not gonna be able to play unless you're online or something. Okay. Well, it's gonna My, it's 100 gonna crash. They're gonna. Yeah. I bet they're gonna do what they did when the Wii U became one one came out and start like banning people for really stupid reasons. Oh yeah. Oh my god. But also, uh, play, I remember playing Wii U at launch. Um, like the first few multiplayer games that I got into were pretty good, but then like, I would say a day later the the lag was spectacular because matchmaking it didn't care where you were from it was just matchmaking people from oh, different yeah. continents <laughs> brutal <laughs> i would like get stuck in the air i'm just like <laughs> you're just like frozen in like, the I, air and it's yeah. not important for fight games right like you you can have like a couple oh yeah lag <laughs> yeah yeah you can have, the yeah, you can have many so, frames yeah. of lag and that doesn't affect fighting games yeah you're right yeah. exactly but there's, there's yeah. no skill involved right we all know that's okay yeah that's gonna be fun to actually witness hmm. so hmm. um Anyway, now today, okay. Bethesda has said they are going to mail canvas bags to everybody who ordered. There you a... go. Okay, there you go. They said like, all right, here's a thing. Fill out your information. Send us, you know, here's how you can send us proof that you ordered it, and we will send you a canvas bag. And of course, people are like, wait, how can they make bags now with the canvas shortage? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, a couple things. One, that's really bad and really stupid. Now, here's the thing. It sounds all good and dandy, but here's the problem. What if they fuck this up? Again, all out of, like, I, I mean, not I know, to be I that know. guy, but... No, I mean, it's, I think it's an extremely valid question right now. <laughs> like, if they, if, they, if they screw this up, good lord, they're going to be the memes. They're going to out-meme themselves. That's what's going to happen. They are going to... Here's a picture of... I found a picture of the... Uh, of I the quote canvas. Oh, oh, wait, that's crazy. not it. Hold on. It, t- it took me... It sent the wrong picture for some reason. Well, no, that's clearly not the, the canvas bag that anybody else is getting. Yeah, I was going to say. That's what I got. <laughs> Did you see? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it sent the wrong picture. Oh, um, that's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. How embarrassing. For a company like, like Bethesda... Oh. Uh, uh yeah that's, that's annoying that's really frustrating and sad so um i mean look a lot of times i am 
maybe even borderline naive, and I tend to give companies and people the benefit of the doubt on a lot of stuff. But, yeah. uh, like, right now, I feel comfortable saying, fuck off, Bethesda. Like, what the fuck? This well, is and, and, this is not excusable. And let's talk about that. What is the, what is the purpose of a collector's edition? The purpose of a collector's edition is to give your consumers extra, right, on top of the base purchase. And in a lot of cases, it's from the consumer's perspective, it's to promote and basically give give something back to the, the, to the developers even more so. So for them to do that and then to shit on their consumers is like, oh yeah, my exactly. God, what are you doing? Like nobody's going to buy your collector's edition in the future. Like what are you doing? <sighs> yeah, this is for your, yourself. this is for your hardcore fans that love you and want to support you. Exactly. That's a really good point. Above and beyond. And you're Above saying, and beyond fuck you. they, they just gave all those guys two middle fingers and they're just waving them around. Okay, here here is what I think. Here's what I think. Um, so Bethesda is owned by Zenimax Media. Zenimax Media was responsible for um, decisions like uh, what was it, Elder Scrolls Online, which at first everybody thought was just kind of a cash grab, and has since actually had a decent team build a good game out of it. Um, and I think that Zenimax was probably just like, how can we make more money out of Fallout because we know we can't release Fallout this year. So what they probably just hired a team to make the easiest possible um, cash grab they could they could think of, mm-hmm. and they figured that it would actually work because it has the follow name on it. Even yeah. though I mean, you're, probably, you're probably not far off, honestly. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be. I, I mean, this 2018 has also been the year of like administrations within game like big triple a companies twisting the arms of developers and saying this is what you're going to do you're going to put this in the game because we want it there that's what happened with the loot boxes nda right and it's it's like um i i don't know i like i would argue that there was probably a dialogue that occurred at blizzard concerning making a mobile Uh, a mobile diablo game (laughs) and uh, you're just trying to make me cry. Yeah, one hundred percent. This was it's a conversation cruel. that probably. I mean, we don't know what we want as consumers, right? That's <laughs> we as consumers, we're just a bunch of mindless zombies, and we don't really know what we want. So we need these these good developers to tell us and sell us. What yeah, we need. you need them to tell you what you want. Yeah. All right. Stop it. All right. That's not okay. Stop it. Anything else to say about Fallout seventy six, or should we move on? I'm. Uh, is it? I mean, I'll say at the end of the day, I'm really not that surprised anymore. It's so sad. But, Are you not? Oh, it's so... You're a big Fallout fan yourself. Yeah, yeah specific ones for sure. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, it is, a, it is a bummer. Um, we'll move on to real news. I do want to make a uh, huge announcement uh, right now, actually. I released a uh, probably the best game of the year. Oh, I'm so excited. It's so really? Uh huh. Yes, it's called. Yeah. I don't know that. Twitter? This, this oh, one. Yeah, Jaden used Twitter. Um, so uh, I am actually working on another game, but GitHub um, had for the during the month of November they did a game jam, and uh, it was it's the Git GitHub Game Off, and it's a month long game jam where at the beginning of the month they give you a theme. And you have till the end. It starts at November first, and you have until the end of November to submit a to to develop and submit a game that incorporates that theme. And I was like, you know, I should take I should take a break from this other game that I've been working on for a while and just like do something really fast, just to just for the hell of it. Why not? Yeah. 
Uh, so <laughs> I made a uh, a game called Band Pre 2094. Yeah, you this did. is this is a hybrid racing slash typing game. Uh, in ASCII graphics. Of course it Chase. does. Of course it does, Robert. <laughs> uh, good for you, man. Way to go. I am so proud of you. <laughs> and uh, ba- so what you do is uh, you have a little car and you the the race starts and it says you're going to play either a, uh, a country song or a jam band song or a heavy metal song p- chosen randomly. And it generates a song on the fly in that genre. And you have to type the lyrics as fast as you can. And the faster you type, the faster your car goes. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> that's all there is to the game. You uh. do you do a whole season, which is three races long. And the whole thing takes about probably four minutes to complete. And, uh, and that's the game. So if you're interested in checking this out, it is on itch.io. Again, it's Band Pre. Pre as in P-R-I-X, like as in Grand Prix 2094. Uh, honestly, the thing that I'm happy that I'm most happy about in the game is the song generation. They came, they honestly kind of came out pretty hilarious in my opinion. Um, the country song uses typical, like stereotypical country words, same with heavy metal and jam band stuff. So, uh, my favorite part, honestly, of of the whole thing was having it create song after song after song and just seeing the, like the dumbass country or jam band or heavy metal (laughs) songs that it, that it generated. So I got to brush up on my typing. So, so if you, yeah, if you need to do that, then yeah, you might, you might learn, uh, you might learn from gaming. I like what you're trying to do there. That was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sales pitch. (laughs) Boosh. Yeah. Um, okay, cool, man. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. 100%. Obviously it's a very, uh, simple game, pretty rough around the edges. Um, because I only had one month to make the damn thing. But uh, for for what it is, I, I'm 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 pleased with it. Hey, question: What do I get for the collector's edition? Uh, canvas. You get a you get a actual Formula One car. Isn't that Formula One shortage right now? Uh, we'll take. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. You know, there might be. If so, we'll send you a uh, a toy car instead. But we are. Oh, that works. But we're planning on sending you an actual Formula One vehicle. Have you ever heard about that story where that lady won some competition and the, the price of the competition was a Toyota and they tried to hand her a toy Yoda action figure? <laughs> I did see that. Did oh yeah. yeah. How crazy is that? She sued the shit out of them. Well, did she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure she won. They're like, no, yeah, we it's, said it's toy Yoda. Right? No, it was a Toyota. I mean, um, I think that's... I'm sure their argument is no, we said Toyota. But... <laughs> I mean, not to get too deep into this, but a lot of people think a lot of the times that there are like technicalities that are that you can like that is really easy to find technicalities in the in the legal system, and that everything is like by the word, and there are lots of ways to get by things. But honestly, gen, genuine, generally speaking, when you go to court, there is honest, there is still a lot of common sense evo- involved, and the judge doesn't just say, "Oh yeah, well you said Toyota, for instance." You know, technically they're right. They're, he's going to say no. You you misled this person, and yeah, uh, I think that's what I'm and fuck you. That's that's typically what happens. Deserve it. Yes. Yeah, they do. So that was the big news for this uh, year. 
Um, let's go good. on to other news. Um, one more modern thing to talk about is that uh, this was kind of interesting, just because we've been kind of keeping up with this in general. And then this will be the last non-classic thing we talk about for a long time. Is uh, You know how uh, Telltale has shut down, and their games yeah. are, st- are kind of slowly disappearing from Steam and stuff like that. Well, there was a GOG sale uh, a week or two ago, and without they didn't do any sort of announcement about this or anything, but uh, a lot of people noticed that they were randomly being gifted from GOG for free games that were on their wish list. And uh, once they kind of, there, there was a third about this, I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. Let me look into this. And as people were talking about it, they realized that GOG was, was gift anybody who had a, well, not, maybe not anybody, but people who had Telltale games on their wish list, GOG was gifting it to them uh, for free. So, wow. Probably. That's some uplifting news. Probably yeah. because they were disappearing off the store, right? Yeah, probably because they were disappearing off the store. Normally, what they'll do in those cases, though, is they'll say, hey, this is uh, this is going away. Um, you know, uh, here, it's like 80% off now. So get it while you can, because it's going to be gone in a week. But this time, without really, say, again, without saying anything, they just kind of were giving it to people who had it on their wish list. So that was kind of cool and kind of interesting, I thought. Now let's, really talk cool. about, now let's talk about classic stuff. Uh, I only got two things. The PS1 Classic came out, and uh, the word is as not so great. Oh. The, um, the problem is that it uses the PAL version for some of its games, which uh, is 50 pra- uh, frames per second as opposed to 60, which basically everyone's used to I, I guess if you played a lot of these games uh in the pal version originally then maybe this isn't an issue for you but they kind of but like kind of for nobody's really sure the best conjecture is that a lot of it had um like other languages kind of already built in like subtitles and stuff on the pal versions and that's why but a lot of them are slower frame rates than you're used to which, uh, particularly on Tekken 3, for instance, is kind of the big one that that sort of screws oh, with. that would be bad. Yeah, that yeah. would be really bad. So, uh, that's not great. And also, the I saw some side-by-side comparisons with with uh, screenshots with from the PS1 Classic and the original PlayStation. And some of them, the graphics just are a little bit muddied. Like, not, not so much that you would notice it without really comparing them. But when you do compare them, it is noticeable. Wow. So... That's, again, I haven't played this myself. This is what I'm reading and seeing, and that's not fantastic. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, real, real quick piece of news, is that Flashback has been released on GOG now. So this is obviously the PC version of, uh, the, the, I guess, the DOS version of Flashback. Uh, it's now on GOG. And it's also got... Uh, it's got, like, you can do it, you can play it with updated graphics if you want, but if, if you don't want to do that, then you can also just play with the original graphics, which I would highly re- recommend doing, because the original graphics are really interesting on, on Flashback, especially the animation. Um, and also, it's got, supposedly, some kind of quality of life things, like, uh, you can rewind so you don't have to kind of start all over on parts of the game when you die and things like that, so 
Uh, if you're a flashback fan, you can now get it on GOG. Now it's time to talk about games. If you guys, uh, if you guys think you can handle it, I don't know if I'm emotionally stable enough. Uh, you're I not. Think I, I, ooh, ooh, I think I can handle it. Okay. All right. Um, games. Who should? Let's go. Um, Jay, why don't you lead us off? Kick us Wait, off. Show how it's done, Robert. Is that what's going on? Show us how mm-hmm. it's done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. So. Mind you, I'm getting a little bit sick, so I may have to pause for a moment just to, like, getting, clear my nose. You're getting a little it. sexy? I'm getting a little bit sick, but that, sick. too. Okay. He doesn't I'll have to get it if he already is it. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so, for this episode of the podcast, I decided to play Roller Coaster Tycoon. How are you, um, playing, how are you, you broke up a little bit. You played what? Uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Roller Coaster Tycoon? Yeah. The, origin, the first one? Uh, I played actually that and Corkscrew Follies, which is like the first expansion that they did, which Corkscrew added like some more Volleys. Follies with an F, Frank. Follies. Okay, okay. Is my mic that bad, or are you just having it's, great issues? You're, there, I think there's a little bit of lag. It's fine. It's it's okay. We'll, we'll live with it. All right. You ready? All right, all right, all right. So let's. Okay. So let's recap. So so far, so, we talked about the fact that I played Roller Coaster Tycoon, Corkscrew Follies, F with a Frank. That's so that, far as we've gotten so far. And you said that's the expansion to that's the expansion. And this is the original number one roller coaster tycoon. Yeah, so this is roller coaster tycoon one. And then they had an expansion which added some additional single player maps called Corkscrew Follies. I don't know why it's you know, it's just the name of it. Right. Uh so this came out in nineteen ninety nine, was the original one. And then Corkscrew Follies came out. Let's see. It doesn't it, matter. Well, wow, I didn't realize it was that late. I thought it was a little earlier than that. Sorry, I actually I was literally just thinking. That's funny you said that. Uh, we'll say it was... Oh, here we go. Um, yeah, I'm not going to try and find when it came out. It doesn't matter. But the original one came out in 99, so it's a year or two after. Um, and this is a theme park simulation type game. Uh, so you are the owner of a theme park, and you your main objective is to make money so that you can build a really successful uh, theme park. So you can build things from roller coasters to bumper cars to food and drinks to just real simple rides that take people around the parks. Um, there's just such a variety of rides you build throughout your entire parks. There's even things like as simple as a slide, just like, like a legit just slide um, that can actually <laughs> bring people slide. in. Yeah, and, and what's what's crazy about the game, so the, the overview of the game is just a big-ass grid, just like you'd imagine like a simulation-type game. And then, you know, each building takes up a certain amount of space and... Um, one of the great things about this game is you can actually custom build roller coasters. So you can decide that you want to build, you know, a roller coaster with a bunch of loops. So you can essentially start constructing the roller coaster from scratch. You design the the length of the the entrance for it, and then you'll actually design the pathway for it, design the loops, and then you can actually go through and edit the speed. So you can actually adjust the speed, and you have to be very careful because when you're manually constructing these roller coasters, if you do it wrong, the roller coasters can actually crash and people can die. And if people die, your park pretty much goes under because nice. you just lose so much popularity. Um, so there's some really, really, really cool stuff that you can do that is just, you know, an additive thing to everything else that's going on. So the main objective of the game, again, is just to have a successful theme park. And what is successful? You have to have high ratings, which there's a rating bar uh, you can look at at any time. It goes from 1 to 1,000. Uh, anywhere above like 650 to 700 is pretty high. And then anything above like 800 is great. And then anything above that is obviously better. Uh, your, how many people you have? How many people at your park is also very critical. Early on, you'll probably have anywhere from like two to 600. And then when you start getting more successful, you get thousands of people. When there's thousands of people, it gets really difficult to keep up with everything. 
because one of the other main points of the game is you can actually see what your patrons are thinking. So you can understand what their needs and wants are. So they'll say things like, this park is disgusting. There's vomit everywhere. There's trash everywhere. We need more bathrooms. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. It's crowded here, which means that the pathways aren't wide enough. Um, I want to go on more exciting rides than X. Y ride looks too intimidating for me. Oh, this is too expensive. Oh, this is actually really cheap. And so they'll actually tell you all this information. When you have a lot of patrons, you can actually filter down and say, what is the most common opinion that these patrons have of my park? And they're like, you know, 36 of them say this ride is too expensive. Okay, let me go ahead and lower the rate on that ride. And, you know, what some of the ones may say, like, oh, I need more bathrooms, something just as simple as that. So you have to, you know, react to that. And that's another piece of what's going on. But at the same time, you also have to maintain constructing, you know, expanding your park. You're building additional roller coasters. You have to make sure that you plan it accordingly because you have to build pathways throughout your entire park. So there's all this stuff you kind of have to think about. So at the beginning of every level, what I do is I kind of zoom out and I just take a, a brief overview of the map and say, okay, I'm probably going to start by building a general kind of entrance fair with food and some, some easy rides like merry-go-round, slide, bumper cars, like real, real casual things. And then maybe I'll build like a big roller coaster here. And then, you know, you, you have to plan it out accordingly. Because if you don't, you'll end up expanding too quickly. Or maybe you won't be space conscious enough and you'll run out of room. Uh, there are certain levels where you can purchase additional land space, but it's very expensive. I, I actually haven't so far beaten six levels and I haven't gone anywhere close to needing to expand um, one of the other things is you are taking a loan out from a bank and there is an interest on it. It's very small. It's, it's like pretty much in, it's insignificant. It's so minor, but you do have a loan taken out from the bank. And so it's just something that, that subtracts from your value of your park. And that's the third metric. So there's popularity, there's population on your park and there's value of your park. So your park is valued based on everything. So how many rides you have, how much they're worth, what, what the overall value of your park is. And so at the beginning of every level, you get an objective that says, by the end of year three, you need to have at least 650 patrons with a rating of at least 700. So you know your goal. And generally, the first couple levels are super easy. I mean, it's just you kind of do as you want, and it's, it goes pretty darn smooth. So I was getting some water. Um, one of the other, the other things you can adjust is the entrance fee of the park. So the entrance fee starts off as free, and you can get it upwards of like $70 is what I've, I've gotten it up to so far. And it's basically just kind of like how popular is your park. And if your park, if your park's doing really, really well, you can crank that thing to the max, and people will still come in. And and seventy dollars in this game is a lot. Like a, a big roller coaster will cost anywhere from like five to ten thousand dollars, which in real life we all know is it's going to be many times that. Right. But they kind of squished money in this game. So you know, roller coasters five to ten thousand. Tickets to get in the park are anywhere from like thirty to seventy dollars. Food's like a dollar. Umbrellas are like three dollars. And speaking of umbrellas, Lisa kept making fun of me for this. When it rains in the game, you know what you do? You raise the fucking shit out of the price of the umbrellas. You raise it from like $2 yeah. to like $5. Nice. It's the funniest thing in the world because you just see all these umbrellas uh, start popping up. Because you can actually see your patrons walk around. You can see if they have balloons. You can see, if they have you can see where they're walking to. And, and it's so funny because you actually see them with the umbrellas. So I'm like, that's $5, that's $5, that's $5. <laughs> Super fun. Um so there's all this stuff going on, and it's super fun. It's, there's other metrics you can look at. You can look at how much a ride is making you profit per hour. So you could say, like, oh, bumper cars is only making me $47. And you're like, oh, because it's only $0.60. Cents. Okay, let me bump that up. Or, oh, this ride's like $4, but it's only making me $60 an hour. It's like, oh, okay, let me lower the price and get more people to go through it. And some of my successful rides had, like, two, dollars $3,000 per hour. So you can just expand and expand and expand. It's a very fun game, and I will say – the only thing I hate about it is when you spend so much time on a park to only lose it at the end of the level. 
because once the level ends, you can keep going, but there's really no point to it. Oh, right. And I, I was just destroying these levels so far. Um, my only complaint with the game is, uh, well, I have very few complaints about the game. One, one of the things that drives me nuts about this game is there's a lot, there's, there's a good amount of time, like, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I, my goal was 600 people and a, par, a park rating of like 650. My rating's 900 and I have 2,500 people in my park. Like, why does the level not just end? Like, okay, you beat it. Like, Jesus, yeah. you beat it, just let it go. No, you have to wait the full length of, of the three year mark, which <laughs> a month is like. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I, I think a month is probably like four or five minutes. <laughs> So an hour a year is about an hour in games. So if you have a if you have to do something by the end of like year three, you're talking about three hours for a level. Uh, it, it's probably a little bit over exaggerated, but it's it's like two to three hours for a couple of years. So you know from no matter how well you do, it's still going to take you about three hours to beat the level, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, that's that's like the most frustrating thing in the, for, for me in regards to that. Other than that, this game is such a blast. I love starting on new levels. I love just like in my head, I'm like, okay, I want to put all this stuff here. And I started doing really, like, I was trying to be very, very space, space conscious to the point where you can actually build underground. You can build underground. And the game actually does a pretty decent job with the visualization of what you're doing with it. So I basically made almost all my pathways underground. And the reason is that I can build on the ground above it and just save even more room. And it's you know, the levels that are generally considered to be small suddenly turn slightly larger and it's just oh it's so fun and so <laughs> one of the things that gets a little crazy is if as you're expanding your park the patrons will get lost a lot so if they start wandering around too far into the park they will literally just start spamming because you can see their messages or or their complaints at the bottom there's like this little you hear this like doo -doo, and then it pops up with a message and it's like guest 306 is lost doo -doo, guest 504 is lost and if you like pick them up by the way, you can pick up your patrons. You can pick them up with these little tweezers. Oh, so you pick oh, them up and really? you put them by the entrance. Oh, yeah, you can do fun shit with them, too. You can, like, shake them and stuff. Like, if they're nauseous, you can, like, shake them a bunch. D yeah. So it's, like, black and white. Yeah, in that regard. Um, you also hire on... So a couple crazy events happen. So you hire on staff. Like, you can hire security guards. Security guards are there so people don't um, vandalize your park, which does happen. You hire on handymen who empty the garbage, mow the lawns, pick up, like sweep up the vomit or trash. Very, very useful. You have um, entertainers like that you can dress them as like pandas, or like there's one I had where you're doing this like Rome-esque level, and they were they were Spartans, They're, like these Spartan-looking warriors you could hire to wander around your park and just kind of entertain people. And the last one is mechanics. And mechanics do two things: they fix broken rides and they inspect rides. And a lot of times when you have a high-value ride, like an expensive roller coaster, you'll set the inspection time to be 10 minutes, which is essentially like, uh, you know, a month or something in game. You, you just, you essentially want, I did it as, as frequent as I could, right? Because you want to make sure that your money machines are up and running. And the other rides, it's like, if a merry-go-round breaks down, it's like, oh, no, you know, $120 per hour, please stop. <laughs> you know, like, it's not that big a deal. Um, what ended up happening, though, is one of my rides, my dude inspected it, right? He inspects it. He's like, yep, he gets, he gets he gets a phone call. Your little mechanic's really funny. He like picks up the phone, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he like walks over to the ride, he's like inspecting, inspecting. So literally, he's exiting the ride. It's like inspection completed. Boom! It, like the, one of the cars hit the other one and exploded. And, and like <laughs> 10 people died. And I'm like, what died? The fuck, dude? Like, yeah, oh yeah, they died. Yeah, because the, the brakes didn't work. So the, it rear-ended the other one. So so they all died. And then I'm oh, watching, gosh. I'm watching the ride, I'm watching the next group of people behind them going through this loop-de-loop -loop at like 60 miles per hour and i'm like oh no so i go to i go to close the ride because if you close the ride any patrons on it will get kicked out it doesn't hurt them nope couldn't do it in time boom 10 more people die oh, <laughs> oh. 
I know, and I'm like, I, I fired the mechanic instantly. I'm like, you, you are so terrible at your job. You literally just looked at this ride. And, <laughs> and totally so, so what happens when people die? Your rating plummets, man. It plummets. And it's, it is a very, very hard recovery point. And it's really frustrating. I mean, I was doing everything I could to prevent this. And, and the worst part about it is I had to scrap the roller coaster. And uh, I, do, I just rebuilt the same roller coaster. So it wasn't like uh, I uh, Can you say that in normal voice? Because I couldn't. Sorry. Like, oh. I, I, all I did was re I deleted the roller coaster because everybody was like, I'm not riding it. That ride's dangerous. I'm like, uh -huh. okay, okay, I hear you. So I deleted the roller coaster. And then I pulled the fallout and I just re-released the same roller coaster at the same exact spot. And everyone was like, I'm so excited for the new roller coaster. So um, it really sucks when you have incidents like that because it's it's very difficult to come back from them. It is very difficult because your rating is so low. Uh, one of the other features you could do is you could you can run marketing campaigns. So you can do like uh, you pay money to have your your uh, a certain ride marketed for a certain drink or food stall free entrance admission, half off admission. So you can do these different things to help boost the popularity oh, cool. of the park. And essentially, when you have a crash like that, all my money is going into marketing at that point because it's just like, I, I'm not recovering from this. Like, my rating just dropped super duper hard afterwards. And it, it was really frustrating. That's really Banner funny because that's like how it works in real life. Like, when yeah, you have a catastrophe, you pump life. all your money into marketing. Yeah, it, it was brutal. And I spent some, I was probably a year and a half into the three years for the level. And I'm like, fuck, if I have to restart, like, I don't even want to do this level. Like, this is going to be such a pain. And then I was like, I, all of a sudden, my, my rating went down like 500 even. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't win because I need a rating of 650. And then slowly, I was running marketing campaigns, and I, I kissed the ass out of all my patrons. Like, I made the, the roads really wide. I put a bathroom, like, every 15 feet. <laughs> I had all these boring-ass rides that they wanted. I did all this kiss-ass <laughs> kiss stuff. And then I got up to, like, 800 rating, and I'm like, all right, it doesn't even matter. I could drown my patrons and still beat this level. Like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> uh Oh no! This game is a blast. I mean, if you if you have any interest in playing any sort of, of simulation game where you are in charge of a roller coaster park, I have got the game for you. Now, you this go. game it's really fun, and it's it's there's so much going on. Like I named up all the different features. There are all that stuff is going on at, at at the same time. So it's like you're running from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and it, it's really really fun. And I, I will say I'm going to continue to play this game because I, I really do enjoy it. I want the game to get harder. And I know this game is not intended to be super difficult, but I want some of the goals to be ridiculously hard. Like getting 600 people, 700, 800 people is such cake. If you just do the, the bare minimum, you don't kill people, you, you just listen to your patrons a little bit, you could pretty much reach any goal. Um, I, and there was, was one level where I paid off my loan and I had like $100,000 in cash in my pocket and I had I had nothing else to do. Like I was just sitting there like raising and lowering the land, which is really expensive. I was just sitting there raising and lowering it. Just It's like showing up that I fuck you money at that <laughs> so point. you're playing Populous 2? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> just like spamming, just spamming it over and over and over. And it, it's just, it's it's a really fun game. I, I, I cannot talk about how much fun this game is. You, uh, damn, like that, you, you... I think you did a good job of kind of making me understand why people love this series so much. It's a blast. And, and some of the things that, that I don't really enjoy that, that Lisa, I was talking to her about this, some of the things that she enjoys about games like this is actually like, you can also do aesthetic things. So there's certain themes. I've got, I've got to research too. So, so you actually 
focus your research. So you put a certain amount of money towards research every month and you can select the, the categories you want them to focus on. So if you want them to focus on roller coasters or food and drink, theme and scenery, upgrades to existing rides, you can tell them what you want to focus on. And so one of the things that they can do is they can actually focus on themes. So they can do like Roman themes. You get all these different different structures. They don't do anything beneficial to the park other than, other than aesthetics. And so you can use these to help kind of boost your 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 the happiness of your of your patrons. That kind of stuff really doesn't apply to me because I, I I'm just purely focused on the most efficient way to do things. Like okay, you know, I want to make sure that my park is is clean, you know, very very tightly wound, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the sex stuff is there. I didn't really focus on it too much. It just doesn't really do much for me. Do you? Um, is there? You mentioned like how the levels go and how they get a little bit frustrating with you having to wait on them and stuff. Is there like an open? Yes, play? there is. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. Actually. It's, it's funny enough. Cause I don't know what I would do with it. I, I wouldn't have a goal in mind. Cause it's like you get to a point where I, I was getting to a point, certain levels where I had so much money that I could, I could literally build the most expensive roller coaster. And by the time that I got, cause you have to, so I forgot to mention this, you have to clear trees, you have to clear roads, you have to raise and lower the land in order for it to be level for a lot of rides, especially roller coasters. So by the time that I would get the ground level enough and all the debris cleared and land, and placed down the roller coaster, I would have more money than when I started getting ready to put that roller coaster down. <laughs> so if I play an open level, I don't know what I would do. So it would just be so many roller coasters. Like I would have unlimited money essentially. So I could just do whatever I want. So I enjoy, I enjoy the level because some of them are, are, are getting difficult because they'll give you like, you only have this tiny little space and the goal is only a year, but you have to build, you only have a set amount of space and it's very limited. And there's certain ones where like you have one space you can build in and then there's this strip of a bridge to the other one, but you can't build anywhere outside that bridge and those two designated areas. So you have to come up with creative ways to utilize that center space to build a ride that maybe transports people back and forth or whatever you want to do with it, right? So the, some of the levels are getting more more interesting in that regard. I the open kind of skirmish style, if you will, just doesn't really do it for me. I guess. Are you planning on playing Roller Coaster Tycoon two now? Potentially, yeah. I think the next game I'm actually going to play is going to be. Um, I was going to play uh, shit, Oregon Trail for the podcast. I was going to play that in addition. Oh, nice. Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, but I think I'm actually going to play that and then maybe either Roller Coaster Tycoon two or another another one of the series potentially. Okay. Hell yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, that that yeah. was like a sales pitch and a half. Yeah. Oh, it's super duper fun. Very fun game. Hey, I would go to your amusement park. You could have a future. Really? Oh, I was around you day one, Chase. Wow. What was it called? Did you have a name for your park? Uh, most of the time, I name it for you. I I kept putting Aww. up. So you could put up signs like those electronic signs where it just repeats a message. Like I had like dog balls, like horse cock. Like I had all these stupid <laughs> things. People like. And it's so funny because you can name the roller coasters like whatever you want, and it's like oh, I love horsecock. Like people are like, I really enjoy riding horsecock. And I'm like, oh Jesus, <laughs> horsecock is a really great value. Like they they just keep repeating messages. I was like, stop, you guys have to stop. <laughs> you're the one who made them do it. Now you're telling them to stop. I know. I do what I can though. All right, that sounds uh, like a glowing review. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Chase, why don't you go next? Okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it'll be as enthusiastic or... Um, yeah, it's a tough one to follow up. Okay, so um, I played uh, Castlevania Requiem, which is actually... Um, it's the PS4 release of Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. Um, so for a while there, you couldn't get these games... Uh, well, actually, who am I kidding? You could get 
Symphony of the Night all over the place, but uh, Rondo of Blood's a little harder to get a hold of. Um, Which one is that? Which one is Rondo of Blood? Rondo is the one that only got released on Saturn and uh, Turbo Graphics. Ah, now, okay. they made a version of it on uh, on uh, Super Nintendo called, uh, I think it was um, Castlevania X. Um, but okay. it was it was like a really stripped down version. They took a bunch of stuff out, so it, it was not even remotely as good as the actual Rondo. Oh wow! Like, okay, okay. Um, so I played these two games plus another one. I'll just mention the the last one quick because I haven't played a lot of it, so I can't speak too much of it. Um, but what um, what's really significant about Rondo of Blood is like how much praise you hear about it when you've never played it, whereas I actually went and I played it, I was like, okay, things are starting to make sense. Like, it's got... it's uh, Okay, so I'll just give it a, a bit of information. So Rondo of Blood was originally for the TurboGrafx uh, CD, and also, I think... I think it hit uh, Sega CD. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but uh, it was released October 1993, and it was a Konami release because it's Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was when, like... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if if you remember this time period or if you had like a CD uh, a device around then, but like the idea of having like those anime cutscenes, those CD quality anime cutscenes, was a really big deal. And putting like um, some of the voice stuff in, even if it was still like garbly and horrible. Hmm. Um, so like one of the first things you do is fight death on a stagecoach, um, and uh, yeah, like he he does like the like the it it's sort of like a higher quality shitty super nintendo laugh <laughs> so <laughs> but um yeah the I, I mean I'm, I'm i don't know if i'm doing that game justice but like honestly it's a castlevania you can't whip the whip around in the same way that you could for um for snes i haven't actually played all the way through it just because i haven't had enough time but when i have played with it this the time i've spent with it like the the opinion of this game as like one of the best not metroidvania style uh castlevanias i think it's pretty well earned um like the the story gets put together very well there's a an anime opening opening cutscene, um which is just like okay humans are stupid <laughs> they summon dracula again <laughs> um and it's you know it's up to a belmont to to solve that problem but i mean the the real seller of the game is the gameplay and um the fact that you get to choose between uh, I, can't, I think it's Trevor, Trevor or Maria. Um, so Trevor is like the Belmont, so you get to use the you get to use the whip, um, and you also get to use all the sub weapons. If you're familiar with how how you play um, Castlevania, um, so it's like it's a side-scrolling action adventure where like the the end game is go fight Dracula and kill him. But you have to fight your way through his entire castle, um, and Maria is a character that you can unlock through the game who has magic powers and it's kind of like easy mode because she's shorter so like uh no. you know like those <laughs> you know those annoying yeah th- this is also like a big big sort of thing in games at the time so like think about odd job where it's like right you're just short enough that people will shoot over your head like yeah you can just dodge stuff yeah that's maria in this game like <laughs> the, the throw axes or like the skeletons that throw bones it's just like it's way off like doesn't even hit you um, and and you're like slinging spells like uh, like you don't give a damn. Um, so a lot of people refer to Maria as the easy mode uh, for this game. Once you unlock her, uh, if you choose to play her, uh, it's sort of like the easy mode. Whereas the the real um, 
the real way to play is to play Trevor. Um, but but it's uh, you know what it's it's a good time. It's one hundred percent Castlevania. It's if you ever had to play a single Castlevania game, I would say play this one. Um, either this one or Super Castlevania. So Castlevania Four on the Super Nintendo, both are really good representations of of the game itself. But if you want to play something that's a little bit different, definitely give Symphony of the Night a try. Have, have either of you guys played Symphony? No, I have not. Okay. No, I have not. Um, so Symphony of the Night is... I cannot tell you how much it feels like I'm playing a Dracula Metroid. Like, the... The, the way that the game plays like when you get to a save state you're just like this feels like i'm saving with stamus <laughs> like like alucard like stands in in a spot so like um sorry to sort of set the game up symphony of the night you play as dracula's half son uh or no full son but like half vampire um and his name is alucard um and very creative um, and uh, he's actually a, a recurring character. This is his second appearance. He was originally in Castlevania Three as a playable character as well. Um, and what happens early on is you get stripped of all of your powers and abilities, and you have to fight your way through Dracula's castle. Um, but what you can do in this one is... So you get stripped of, like... What's interesting is you have equipment, and it all gets taken off, and then you have to basically, like, fight mobs to get drops to get new equipment. And basically, anything you can fight in this game will drop something eventually. If it's just uh, R&D, so there's also like uh, pieces of regular equipment that are just like um, sort of upgrades that you'll find over time as you quest. So that's where the Metroidvania thing comes in. So like you'll get new abilities, like shifting into mist or changing into wolf or changing into a bat, um, which basically open up parts of the castle that you couldn't get to beforehand. Um, but more importantly, you have a leveling system in place. Uh, you have stats, so you've got like uh, attack, hit points, magic points, um, and uh, you like you can actually equip stuff. So you get to choose what your weapons are. So what was really interesting is my first few hours playing the game. Like I, I found a sword that was two hand, a two handed sword. I found a short sword. So like the difference is in how fast it swings and the way you swing it. Like is it overhead or is it just a straightforward stab? Um, I also spent a lot of time just using my hands because I hear that's a really easy way to increase your luck, which is another stat that you have. So level up with higher luck and you'll get more items over time. Like they'll just drop mobs will drop more stuff. Um, and so, like, it's just such a different game than Rondo of Blood. But what's really weird is Symphony of the Night takes place in the exact same castle. So I'm playing Rondo of Blood, um, and I see all this stuff for the first time, and then I play Symphony of the Night, and I'm like, I'm having deja vu. But more specifically, the castle is actually just a mirror of the original Castlevania castle from the original game. Um, so, like, it's just super deja vu. Like, it, they, they took so much time. I mean, this game was made in 1997, uh, so it's uh, four years after the original uh, Rondo of Blood. But, like, we're talking almost a decade uh, past mm -hmm, since right. uh, original Castlevania. And this was very much like uh, a Mega Man situation where everybody who was working on this project kind of realized that it was going to be the last 2D Castlevania, maybe for a really long time. 
Um, so they decided to like put their hearts into it and really, really put a lot of effort in, into it. Um, and that's why it's set up the way that it is. It's like an homage to the entire series because they knew that things were going to 3D. Like uh, I think Castlevania 64 was already slated. And that's why there's so much care and effort put into Symphony of the Night. Um, and it's, uh, you know, yeah, like again, it's one of those games I just I haven't had enough time to play all the way through. And what's crazy is you can listen to other people talk about this game and there's like another layer to it. There's like a new game plus where you play the castle inverted like upside down oh i've heard about that um and additionally you can unlock uh i think you can unlock trevor as a playable character and in the new version of the game you can also unlock maria again so like there's three different ways to play to play the game so that's all really really cool um and uh yeah so i mean that's uh, that's all I really got to say about Castlevania, unless you want to, um, unless you want to get into a serious conversation about it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I've got to stop reading where you guys are typing. Don't ever read chat. Don't ever read chat. Don't ever... <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so then, uh, like, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to go back to it. I'm definitely going to play both games through again, um, or like to completion. But the other game that I started playing on accident. Because uh, uh, I just I had it laying around is Demon's Crest for Super Nintendo, and I don't know if anybody's played that, but it's uh, it's a Capcom again another like I guess I was just on a 2D side scroller like action uh, side scroller uh, bender, but like it's a late Super Nintendo game where you play as the demon from uh super ghouls and ghosts like uh but like like a gargle uh gargle wow a gargoyle from super <laughs> ghouls and ghosts unchristian um it, yeah that's a that's a deep hole if anybody gets that one uh so you play as a gargoyle from super ghouls and ghosts and you can like power up as you as you play through the game but i have got to say like there is just something about capcom games and especially the Super Super Nintendo Capcom games, where the controls feel so freaking good, even coming. That's off a of good point. Blood. That's true. Like even coming off of Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood, which are like some of Konami's best side-scrolling action adventure games, like Demon Crest, like Demon's Crest. Sure, the jumping might be a little bit floaty, but the dude has fucking wings, right? Like other than that, <laughs> like you you push a button and like you float in the air. But like you jump at something and you cling to it like a fucking gargoyle, and it's just like it feels. Oh, why did I look? Oh, at this shit? God damn it! What? I can't even scroll up. It keeps oh, on. No, 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 no. There's just something about Capcom. Um. So God, man, I gotta, I gotta put something over that. I can't. Yep, speak. that's exactly right. I gotta put something okay. over that. Okay, so. Okay, so anyways, yeah, Demon Crest, man. That's uh, it. Just it felt good to play. I haven't spent enough time with that game either, and I'm sorry. I know I wanted to play like one classic game and give it its due, but I ended up playing three. And not <laughs> that's, that's wow. what I always do. As I said, I thought Robert's like, "Oh, I have twelve games I played. I'll talk about two. I'm like, "Yeah, I played one game. We talk about it for a while." But yeah, honestly, anything on my list I would recommend um, if you wow. can. Like. Uh, Symphony of the Night, definitely check it out sometime if you've got some spare time. It's a it's a very solid game. But Demon's Crest for SNES, 100% check out. Like, that game feels good to play. 
Yeah, I've heard uh, great things about both That's of those games. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Chase the Night Cleaner. Hey, no problem. Well, guys, thank you. Chase, thank you for those oh, images. Yeah, <laughs> images. There's more than one? Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay, I just saw the one. It's really just one. It's, yeah. Well, the other one was, it was ASCII. It was ASCII. <laughs> oh, Lord. I was asking for it. Yeah, uh, all right. Don't encourage him. What are you doing, Chase? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Should be. Well, I've got three games to talk about. Told you. What did I say? Step. What did I say? You're I've played really four good. or five, but I'm going to talk about three. <laughs> not quite close, but we're close. Um, save the best for last. We're going to start off. We're going to go in ascending order. Is that all right with you guys? Yes. Balloon, hey, f- balloon fight is number one. I was almost going to talk about this game. <laughs> Seriously? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's on everything now. <laughs> like, it's on Switch. It's on yeah, right. NES Classic. Like, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I played it on the NES Classic. So this is an NES game. came out in 1986. Uh, the original arcade version was uh, 84. And I think, actually, the Japanese, I think it came out on Famicom in 85. And in the U.S., it came out on NES in 86. Uh, there's very little to say about this game. Um you are this little dude who has uh, three balloons on his head and you can mash A to make him flap his arms and he floats around. And then there's other, there's like bad guys on the screen that also have balloons on their heads, but they only have one each. And what you're trying to do is pop their balloons and you do that just by getting higher than them and then floating down until you hit the their balloon. Then their balloon pops and they fall. And, uh, they don't die immediately. Um, Chase, help me remember. You can, you can, they can. Okay. So they, they fall to the ground and actually they release parachutes when you hit them. Okay. Um, so when you knock out both of their balloons, cause most of them have two. Oh, okay. Um, the, uh, a parachute will pop out and they'll like swing slowly down to the ground. And it, when they la- land, if they they get to sit long enough. They will pump their balloons back up and shoot back into the sky and come after you. That's right. And you have to hit them a second time before they get their balloon blown back up, right? Yeah. You can jump on their heads or you can just run and shove them. Yeah. Um, Or if you you can even hit them a second time before they land and then that automatically kills them and they don't even get a chance to reach. Yes. You can break their parachutes and they fall as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite things, because I used to play this game as a kid, um, and actually this is going to be more telling and maybe I shouldn't even talk about it, but like as a kid, I used to love to basically just nudge them gently towards the water because another thing that happens is uh, there's a huge, huge goddamn fish in that water. That oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. If you get too close to the water, then a enormous fish just jumps out and eats you. This game is a great grief game. If you play multiplayer, because you can also pop each other's balloons. Yeah, it's just like um, the original Mario Brothers game, you know, just the little, pla- you know, the single screen game with the turtles and the little platforms, where it's you can play two player, and really you're just trying to beat the levels, but you can you can attack each other as well if you want to. So uh, even though it's co-op, you can still just like be like fuck you, and then like I'm gonna pop your balloons. And so and I didn't realize that at first. So I got my daughter to play this with me. I was like, hey, we let's try two-player on this game. And so we started playing. And uh, 
the game starts and it's not really clear whether you're supposed to attack each other or not because you can, <laughs> yeah. but then you start attacking each other and you realize, well, this isn't getting us anywhere. Really? We just need to be attacking these guys. So it is, it is cooperative, but you have the option to attack each other if you want to, which is kind of fun actually. But for me, I mean, I guess it didn't take long to figure it out, but I wasn't really, it wasn't very clear at first whether that was something that we were supposed to do or not. But as you progress through the game, basically there's more bad guys, different levels, and then there's clouds that'll shoot lightning out of them every once in a while and they might hit you. And then really that's almost it, except for there's a sec, there's like a B mode that you can play where it's just this, it's a, uh, it's an auto scrolling version of the game, which oddly goes right to left rather than left to right. And you're just floating, and there's all these... Is it little stars that are in the sky? I'm, I'm having trouble remembering. I feel like there's little stars or something that you're just basically dodging. Yeah, it's... Well, they're basically the same... They're the same makeup as uh, whatever gets shot out of the clouds. Oh, so it's a little, like, in lightning? regular game. So, yeah, it's basically like... Uh, it's like a lightning ball. Uh, <laughs> if you want to categorize it as uh, as a... Yeah, meteorological event. It's a lightning ball. Lightning ball, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and then you just dodge those, and it's kind of like just go as long as you can without without hitting one and dying. And that's the whole game. Yes, yep. So not particularly great. I didn't play, I mean, I, I got about... You know, you play this, this is a game that you play for 10 or 15 minutes and you've gotten everything out of it that you can possibly get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Especially these days. Yeah. N- not a whole lot there. So there's, there's balloon fight for what it's worth. Now let's go into, uh, my, one of my, um, New Year's gaming resolutions was to play Super Mario World, which I did. And then... I think, well, did I play Mario 3 this year, or was that last time? Ooh. I, th- I think what I said was I'm going to play Mario 3 and maybe Super Mario World, if I can, and I played both of those, and so now I even took it a step further, and I play What Comes Next. Jay, you should know this. The Lost Levels? Ooh. Well, uh, well, that would have been a good one, but no, that's more in between. The next one is Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. Oh, wow. Crying baby game. Crying baby game. This was uh, Super NES, of course, 1995. And in this game, you don't actually control Mario. You control Yoshi. And you walk around and you suck up bad guys. Kind of like Kirby, but with your tongue like Yoshi. And then you poop them out as eggs. And then you can launch the eggs at other bad guys or other various things on the screen. Like there are little clouds that you can shoot them at and they'll give you things. And if you've played any of the more um, like recent versions of any Yoshi games, like Yoshi's Wooly World and stuff like that, the mechanics are just the same. Which I never realized until just playing this game the other day or, you know, like the, the over the past couple weeks. Um when you have an egg and you want to launch it, you press a button and a little reticle just kind of goes up and down in front of Yoshi. 
and you will kind of wait till it's pointing at the thing that you want to shoot and then you sh- and then you press a try to time it correctly which isn't hard to do because it doesn't go really fast and then it shoots wherever it's aiming at that time and you hopefully hit the bad guy or the cloud thing or whatever it is that you're aiming at um while you're the doing this assessment? huh the fair assessment <laughs> yeah while you're doing this the, the the whole premise of the game is there's baby mario was and and somebody else was being carried by a stork it was a stork right this is the story i don't remember yeah, the story was, at all it was a no, stork. stork yeah okay it was a stork so and they're car- the storks carried him and uh what's the what's the bad guy's name the little wizard not the wizard oh, but, uh, Wendell? no what it's I not think... gino it's not gino but it, uh, I, I can't remember, I can't remember. He's he's in he's in the new Mario Party. He's one of the judges. That game is stupid fun, by the way. Yes, I agree. Whatever he is, a bad guy comes up and and basically knocks them out of the stork's beak and steals one of them, and then Mar- baby Mario lands in Yoshi World, and the whole story is Yoshi's like taking Mario back to find. I guess I think it was. I don't even remember. It's either. I think it's to go find whatever the other baby was that was being carried. This guy? Yes. Uh, his name's K-A-M-E-K. Kamek or Kamek? Ka- yeah, yeah, yeah. Kamek. Kamek, Kamek. Yeah, whatever it is. And uh, so we, so as Yoshi, you're playing through these levels. And you, and you play as different Yoshis. Mar- uh, baby Mario is riding on your back. And when you finish a level, then it's like you hand him off the ne- to the next Yoshi, and that one's going to take him. So you play as like the blue Yoshi, a black Yoshi, a red Yoshi, green Yoshi. You change. Oh yeah, it's fine. I forgot time. about that. Yeah, and if when you get hit, Mario like starts floating away and screaming. And the whole kind of uh, purpose of the game is you're supposed to get through these levels. But you have to keep Mario the whole time. So if Mario, so if you get hit and Mario starts floating off, you you got to stop everything and go back and, and rescue Mario. And you have ten seconds to do it. And you can get little, you can get stars throughout each level that it will extend the amount of time that you have to grab Mario if you get hit. So you might have, if you get a few of them, you might have sixteen seconds or twenty seconds to to catch him. If you if he floats away and the timer goes down, then that's basically like losing a life. And Mario cries the whole time, which is annoying, as I've heard many people say. And honestly, I think the reason it's so annoying is not necessarily... Well, it's definitely partly due to the sound of Mario crying, but I think it's even more than that. It's due to the volume, because it is so loud. It's so much louder than everything else can come to. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so much louder than everything else in the game. It's like Yoshi's jumping around like whoop, 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 whoop. And then there's like music like do, 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 do. And then, and then Mario starts flying away. He's like, wah, wah, wah. The beeping noise too, right? Doesn't uh, yeah. it do it a second ago Yeah, as it well? does it because it's as time goes on, there's a, there's a countdown. Right, and when the countdown oh, starts to reach, yeah. I think it's like five, then it intensifies. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't catch that. That brings oh, back to Sonic the Hedgehog so or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is one. literally anxiety-inducing. Like the, <laughs> yeah, no thank when, you. When the countdown gets close to one, like you, you know, you're in shit. <laughs> and then, 
and then it gets to one, and then like a bunch of the flying evil bad guys. Uh, well, it's flying China. Oh actually. yeah, it's right. Take them away. Yeah, like the crows or whatever. Yeah, I don't actually know if I ever, if I ever lost him completely and saw that happen. Yeah, it, it, it's good. pretty difficult if I remember correctly. So there, oh, so there's just so good at video games. <laughs> so there's that to it, and not, and uh, the other notable thing is the art style. I which love, I'm gonna comment on. I love so the art good. style of this game. It's so good. It's game. very, it's very. Um, uh, I'd help you. I have no idea where you're going though. Well, no, I can't think like of the crayon. word. It's like crayon pastel, but it's like a kid drew it, but it's so artist, like it's so artistically done that it's awesome. Right. It's like they. Fi- I love it's, it. it's like they figured out that early. It's like an early example of of a game developer figuring out. We don't need graphics to necessarily look more realistic. We just need to make them look more artistic and just just better, yeah. whether that's realistic or not. And so, yeah, just like you guys said, it looks like kind of a crayon drawing or colored pencils or markers or something like that. Uh, just in the same way that, you know, the most recent Yoshi game, everything looks like wool and yarn and that kind of stuff. It's not made to look realistic. It's not made to look, you know, uh, like other video games. It kind of has its own sort of handmade looking art style, which is really cool, I think. I, I didn't, I don't particularly love this art style this specific art style but uh i i really appreciate them doing something different and it, it felt like there was uh it felt like something that that was that they genuinely put forth an effort in making it look really neat as opposed to just like okay give, give this some good graphics like no we're gonna give this a style yeah i Over- agree with you entirely overall i didn't really uh love the game though (laughs) that's fair um i got a little i got through the first two worlds not the first two levels but the first two worlds and um i just and i was like okay this is i'm just not loving it like the the levels aren't that challenging they're they're the even though the art style is good the level design to me at least up to this point wasn't all that interesting um, it was fairly easy for the most part. It's, you know, most just, you know, you, you come across a bad guy and you either eat him and use him as ammo or you shoot something at him and he dies. And it's really not that difficult. Uh, so yeah, I, for all of the, of the good things that this game has going for it, it's got a lot of, especially for the time, unique ideas and a lot of kind of interesting ideas. I didn't have a lot of fun with it. Do you guys how, how do you, how do you guys feel fun fun wise about this game? Is that just me? I, I enjoy this game. I, I haven't played it in a while, but I mean, when I do, when I get the craving to play it, and I actually sit down and actually spend time on it, I I kind of enjoy it. I don't know it. It is not challenging in most. Oops, sorry, the moment just cut out. I know it's not the most challenging game ever, but I don't know. I I, I enjoyed it. Maybe I need to do another playthrough of it too, because maybe one of those. Just positive memories, and when you go back and try again, it's not all that you think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Possible. Ooh, I'm dying over here. Um, for for me, I would still rather play Super Mario World. Oh yeah, without. Question. Oh oh yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Or Mario Three. Like I mean, if we're talking about that, by all means, if I'm going to spend the time and actually dive into it, for sure. 
Was the second one any good? There was a second one, wasn't there? Yoshi's Story 2? No. That was you getting confused and thinking this was the second one. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, but, well, I mean, there there were other Yoshi games, but not, I don't believe, for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, isn't That's Yoshi's true. Woolly World for Wii U like the sequel? I think there, I I could be wrong. I think there was one in between maybe for DS or 3DS or or something like that. Um, But I could be wrong. These are the only two that I've played is, is this one and Yoshi's Woolly World. I think um, maybe that is it. I'm pulling up list of Yoshi games. Uh, Okay. Oh, there's Yoshi's story on 64. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, Yoshi's is that what you were talking? Oh, you're, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what you were thinking of. Okay. I don't think I ever played that one. I think I rented it, but it was a long time ago. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, there's a new Yoshi's Island on 3DS, but um, I'm trying. To, I don't know if it was just a, like a remaster or what. I think it's probably just a remaster. <clears throat> this was a very hard game, as I recall. This was a very hard game to emulate, so. I wouldn't be surprised if they just had to completely reprogram it. That's interesting. There are some games I've run into like that before. Okay, so there's Yoshi's uh, Yoshi's Island. Cool. Now, last one is a game that I did have on my uh, New Year's gaming resolutions. This was Seaman for Dreamcast. Not Seaman. Seaman. The uh, fish with people's heads. Fish with people's heads. Yeah, this came out in 1999. I was going to say semen, but I already made that joke on the podcast, so I don't want to overdo it. Mm. Um, you, already, you just did. <laughs> you just did. That's okay. I can live with that. Okay. Uh, Seaman is, again, it's a Dreamcast game. Uh, it's it's a, uh, how do you describe This is like a pet raising game of that variety. So... You the, the whole game is based around raising these little seaman pets, and it's near, kind of halfway narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And so you turn so you launch so you turn on the game, and Leonard Nimoy says, "Hello, welcome to Seaman." Uh, so you know, Professor So and So found this new uh, organism, and he's got it in his aquarium. Why don't you do this and that to to raise it? So you listen to Leonard Nimoy talk for a few minutes and then you go into the game, which is you staring at a tank with little things floating around. And for, first, what you have to do is raise the air level of the water in the tank. You have to raise the heat of the water in the tank and then adjust the light, basically turn the lights on. So turning the light. So to go through each of these things, you use kind of, I, I believe it's um, L to or Maybe actually, I think it's the D-pad right and left to flip through, whether you're adjusting the air level or the heat and the light, and you press up or down to to raise them. So you go turn the lights on, then you go to raise the air level. But when you're raising the air level and the heat level to get it like the to get the water to like a nourishing environment, like you know, an environment that they can thrive in, it's not just like you know press it up and it goes, you know, press it up a bunch and then it goes up to a hundred percent air level. For instance, you have to hold it down and it takes quite a while for it to raise up. It takes like, if you're raising the air level from zero, for instance, to, uh, you know, to, to, to its max, which is, which is what it needs to be at. 
it's like 60 seconds maybe oh holding it down <laughs> yeah you just got to sit there and wait and this kind of becomes a chore that you have to go back to throughout the game so you're doing that and then you switch to heat and heat rises even faster now you can rise you can you can raise the heat to I, I don't know how high you can get it but you can get it higher than it needs to go um, supposedly it's 19.4 is supposed to be the max heat. And then I don't know what that's measured in. Uh, obviously not Fahrenheit. I don't know if it's Celsius or just some, some arbitrary unit, but 19.4 is the max. I forgot what the minimum is supposed to be. I think it's maybe 18.6. It's not supposed to go lower than that or something along those lines, but that goes even slower and it's interesting. It's kind of like cranking the heat. You hold it down and the heat starts slowly rising. But then the longer you hold it down, then it starts going faster. And then kind of once the heat gets going, then when you, it's almost like it's accelerating because once you let go of the heat, it keeps raising a, a little bit for a good 10 or 15 or 20 seconds after you let go, depending on kind of how fast it's been rising, you know, for based on how long you've been holding it. So, again, to get to, from zero heat to 19.4, it takes maybe, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds. So you just hold it down this whole time, wait, and then you typically will let go somewhere around 18.7, and then it'll kind of drift its way on up to somewhere around 19.4, and then you're good to let it sit there for a while. So when it gets there, then you're uh, the little, they're, they're not even tadpoles yet. They're just a little like, almost just little dots. They're, they're little spheres in this aquarium that you're looking at, just kind of floating around. And uh, um, when you first start off, there is this snail-like creature that's also in this, uh, in this aquarium that you're looking at. And it's called the Nautilus. And you'll notice that every once in a while, one of these, one of these little gill, they're not even gillmen yet. One of these little creatures will go in, will kind of get sucked up into, they'll kind of go up to the snail-like thing, this Nautilus, and get kind of sucked into its shell. And at first I thought they were dying. I was like, oh, sh- oh shit, what's, what's, I guess this thing's eating them. And then, so they do this for a while and you kind of just sit there and watch them for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. There's not there's not a whole lot to do in between like raising the heat and raising the, the air levels and stuff like that. And then ever after a little bit longer time, another one will get kind of, quote, eaten up into the shell. And then another one will go and then another one will go until basically they're all gone. And it turns out they're not actually getting eaten by this creature. They are infecting this creature parasitically and then once so many of them go into it then it starts swimming around and like spurting out blood and acting all crazy and then spurting out more blood and then spurting out a whole bunch of blood and then all these little tiny fish come out they were basically feeding off of this thing uh now while you're doing this the air level and the heat goes down over time. So throughout any given session while you're playing, you have to keep, you have to every once in a while go back and raise the heat back up 
and raise the air back up because it doesn't just stay where it is. It, like I said, it goes down. So that's kind of like a chore that you have to keep doing as long as you play Seaman. Um, so once these things grow into little, little is this fish, fun? like, no, this does that. Well, this sounds like a chore, man. We'll get there. Okay. Fun? We'll get, no, it's, it's not fun. It's not very fun. Um, once these things turn into little fish, as Chase said, they are little fish that have human faces. And <laughs> once they get to this stage, once they've like fed off of this thing and they are yeah, little fish of their own like alien style erupted from this thing. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. Then they are again, there's these little fish with human heads and you can, so you're, the way you control things that are happening on the screen, which you, there's really nothing to control until about this point, is there's a there's a cursor that you control using you know just the the analog stick, and it is a hand. You can pick one up, or you can tickle them, or you can tap on the glass. And tapping on the glass basically all makes all of them come right up to and look at you uh, at that part of the glass. Uh, <laughs> Also going on at this time is the gill men start making little baby noises. So you'll be watching oh, no. them. You'll be watching them float around. And every once in a while, you'll just hear like a. Pleh! Like, hee hee And then you'll pick them up or you'll start tickle them maybe or something or pick them up. They're like, <laughs> just like little like baby That's laughs. Creepy. <laughs> it doesn't probably. I mean, yeah, it's creepy. It probably doesn't sound as creepy as I do trying to imitate a baby laugh. But, uh. It's, it's, it's weird for sure. Um, and, and so you do this and you kind of play with them and then you have to feed them. Like you have these little pellets of food and this is another place where the controls get really awkward. So keep in mind, like I said, to pick up to like generally the pick up the way to pick anything up is you hold B or X, whichever one it is. I can't remember the hand closes but then it actually picks something up. Then you also, once it does that, then you hold that. And then you also have to hold R. Well, your pellets of food are in an inventory screen that you access by pressing L. So to pick, so to pick up a piece of food and feed it to them and to drop it and feed it to them, you press L, goes to your inventory, which is at this point in the game, just pellets of food. Hover over a pellet of food, hold X, then hold R. Then press L again, wait for it to go back to the aquarium, then let go of X and R, and then it drops a pellet of food into the tank. I cannot tell you how long it took me to figure this out. All I knew was that sometimes when I press X or R in some sort of combination, it would pick up a food and sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes it would pick it up for like a split second. I, it took me a while to like figure out, oh, you have to press X, then hold R. Then press L again to go back to the main screen. Then let go of everything else to feed them. That was that was a bitch. That was a hassle. So you feed these um, gillmen, and you have six or eight pellets of food or something like that, and you can only feed them one pellet of food a day. So basically, you're turning the game on, feeding them, and then just watching them for a little bit. Then you save the game. Uh, come back the next day because it checks your memory card to see what the date is. Then they might be hungry the next day. So then you feed them another pellet of food the next day. And then there's nothing to do besides, you know, play with them if you want to, pick them up, tickle them if you want to, tap on the glass and see what they do. Otherwise, just watch them 
and listen to them make baby sounds and make sure you keep their heat raised and their air level raised. 90% of the game is you just sitting there watching them. I would literally just like turn the game on, raise the heat, raise the air, feed them and let it sit there for a while while I did like some other stuff on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> once you get to, you know, a couple days of this, then you'll turn it on and uh, Leonard Nimoy will say, Good morning. Today is, you know, such and such. Right now, there are only six Gilmen left. What's happening, why you're not looking is, or sometimes, I think it actually does happen sometimes on screen, but you don't always necessarily see it, is they're basically eating each other. It's like survival of the fittest. So, so every time you go back to it, every day there are fewer and fewer, and those are like the ones that are surviving and killing off the other ones. Once you get to a certain point, I think it was maybe, I could be wrong on this, I think it was maybe when there were two left, they grow, and then they can talk to you, and they have, like, regular fucking voices. They'll be like, you'll be playing, again, these are fish, and they're larger now, fish with human heads, and they're saying, geez, I really am hungry right now. And they sound exactly like that. Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds so weird and uh or they'll be like hello how are you doing i would mm. like a name now seaman comes with a microphone you oh, plug no. you plug it in to where the second uh memory card slot is on the uh, on the dreamcast controller so Hold on, I think I just fucked up my mic for a second. Okay. So, okay. So you, uh, you can hold A to talk back to them. And when it gets to this point in the game, whenever you start the game, Leonard Nimoy also tells you, you know, before you actually go in and start playing, if you want to give your seaman a name, tell him, I will give you a name. And then oh tell God. him what you want to name what? him. So... The seaman, so you can like tap on the glass and hold A and seaman, and you can be like, I will give you a name, you know, like butt face or whatever the fuck you want to call him. And then uh, I couldn't ever get him to respond to a name, but I could get him to respond to other things because he'll start asking you questions like, I've been wondering. They're like, one of them will randomly come up to the glass and be and say, I've been wondering, are you a boy? Or a girl. What? <laughs> and, and, and so, so at this point, when, when they asked me that specifically, I had my daughter in the room and she wanted to try it out. So she was like, I'm a girl. And he was like, when is your birthday? And uh, she said, October. And he goes, <laughs> and she when she said October, he goes, oh, does that mean you are a trick or a treat? And she said, I don't know what. And he goes, what day on October in October were you born? And she said, uh, 13th. And he goes, the 30th. Oh no. And she goes, no 13th. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? 13th. October 30th. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like eventually he just give like Gilman just gives up and it's like, you know, whatever. Uh, and they ask you other questions as well. And 
then there and then then it comes up with another thing so that you've run out of food pellets but you have to give them this other kind of food there's this other kind of aquarium that you get at this point that's it's not actually aquarium. i guess it's a terrarium and you can switch between the two and it's growing plants and they are growing food that you're supposed to feed the uh the seamen or the i guess the gilmen still uh you're supposed to spray this insecticide or something of the sort so that bugs don't need all these leaves. And then occasionally these little pods will fall from the plant. Well, this is where I got stuck because a pod would fall from the plant. I was like, oh, is that what I'm supposed to feed them? So I'd pick it up and then cycle over to the other screen and drop it into the aquarium. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't eat it in my case. Uh, and then I would go back and, and spray the plants a shitload and then nothing else would happen. And then, so nothing else, like I couldn't get anything else to come from the plants besides these pods that I, that I couldn't get them to eat. And then I turned it on and then I would turn it on and he'd be like, I would turn, you know, I would save it and then turn it on the next day. And he would be like, say, I'm really hungry. And so I would try to feed him again. It wouldn't work. <laughs> After like four days, I turned it on one day. And uh, when you turn it on, Leonard Nimoy comes on as usual and kind of gives you an update and tells you what's going on. He goes, I'm sorry to inform you, your gillmen have died. And that's You're it. Like, Thank God. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, that's. And then if I wanted to do it again, I would just have to start all over. And that's all it comes down to. Eventually, mm. you're. It does turn into just one seaman. Uh, I would never play with Taking care of, I wouldn't. So bad. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not. It's a novel game in many, in several ways. I would say, but it is not a fun game really at all. <laughs> wow. You're talking wow. to, and I like it's. It's so embarrassing playing the damn game. I had to be. I had to like tell my wife. I was like, hey, uh, if you hear me like talking. And saying really random shit back here in the office, it's because I'm playing this weird ass game where you have to talk to the to the people to the characters in the game. Just just ignore me, please, please don't even listen. Uh, and so there's that, and then constantly having to raise the air level and the heat level, and then just like letting them sit there forever without anything interesting happening. Yeah, that sounds like bad game design. That <laughs> just sounds. That, oh, it shouldn't. Oh. It's um, like they it's like they had this really unique idea for a game, which they did. And then they implemented that. But they didn't they didn't while they were doing so, they didn't think of how to make an actual fun game out of out of this. Yeah. So yeah, uh, like more of a morbid curiosity game than like yeah. a Nintendogs or Animal Crossing kind of game. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It's very weird, very, again, for the time, novel. Um, it's, it's, but that's all there is to it. And it's not, that, that's it. There's nothing really f- actually fun about it, unfortunately. So, there's Seaman. There's my trifecta, trifecta, trifecta for the evening. Why don't we move on to top fives? Cool. Cool. Jay, is that cool with you too? Yes, sir. All right. These are, I'll try to uh, keep this somewhat snappy since I think I took way too long talking about Seaman. <laughs> but um, these are the top five games that were most ahead of their time. All right, let's let, we'll let Chase go first. All right, there okay. you go. There okay, you go. okay, okay, okay. Chase, can you pick Chase? Get in there. 
Number okay. five games, a uh, game that was ahead of its time. Okay, so my number five, I'm going to say uh, Brigandin uh, for PlayStation. It was developed by Hardy Robin. I, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, and it was published by Atlas. Um, so this was back in, um, it hit North America in 1998, uh, which is interesting because that's just when it hit. Um, so what Brigandin is, is uh, the best way to describe it to anybody just to keep it uh, concise. It feels a lot like a Fire Emblem game but all of your units are not individual heroes and you're not trying to cultivate relationships. What you're trying to do is you're playing on the same board as uh, five or six other different factions. You already have established armies. And what you're doing is you're trying to march on other, uh, other countries and can uh, take over their cities. Um, what's really interesting about Brigandin is anybody who's played Ogre Battle, a lot of the creatures from that game are in this game. And the leveling system is very similar. Um, so once you've... Uh, okay, so what Brigandin is, is it's like a grid map, um, but it's a grid map of an island. There are certain uh, factions that fight. And the, the point of the game is to just conquer the island. Um, what this game did that was ahead of its time... And what I still haven't really seen anywhere, like it's it's uh, okay, so it's 2018. I'm still kind of waiting for it. I'm waiting for a tactical, um, like a turn-based tactical fantasy RPG that lets me build stuff in a town, <laughs> like lets me generate stuff. Mm -hmm. Because even though hmm. Fire Emblem lets me scratch that itch of like the, the turn-based sort of puzzle, like you get to choose who you get to deploy. What it doesn't do is it's not an army builder. It's not something that I can actually influence what I'm going to be putting on the table later or I can I can reinforce stuff like that. That doesn't happen in a Fire Emblem. Um, whereas Brigandin took from its predecessor, which was basically Ogre Battle, and allows you to recruit stuff, build up your, your armies... Um, uh, but when I when I try to compare it to Fire Emblem, it really is a direct comparison in terms of combat. When you like fight something, there's this whole cutscene that occurs. But what's really bad, and the reason why I say that this game is ahead of its time, is that it was trying to do things that didn't look good in <laughs> in 1998. So like the polygonal horrible graphics um, on the PlayStation, the stuff that doesn't age well. That's what was going on. <laughs> um, and in fact, in updated versions of this game that have been released, they've phased out a lot of that in favor of anime. Um, so what this game should have been is it, it, yeah, it should have been like well-drawn anime art instead of instead of the, the polygonal, but everybody just wanted 3D so bad at <laughs> that point um, without realizing that it would age so horribly. Right. Um, the gameplay hasn't aged well. The story hasn't aged well um, because, honestly, you have to sit through almost 20 minutes of conversation before you can even take a, your first round. <laughs> um, but uh, for the time, it still had uh, a few mechanics that I haven't seen anywhere else, and I'm still waiting for them to show up. So the time is coming. Uh, I think really what's going to happen is I'm going to have to wait until the game War Groove, which is basically like... Um, Advanced Wars, but fantasy setting. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's nice. my number five. I love me. All right. You said Advance Wars, yeah? I did. I love, love me some Advance Wars. All right. Uh, I'll go next. Okay. My number five is Street Fighter 2. <laughs> um, this was the fighting game that that busted open the fighting game genre, basically. But until this, we had fighting games, but none of them were as detailed, as like frame-specific, and as well-balanced as Street Fighter 2 was. Street Fighter 2 was so far beyond uh, any other fighting game in those respects that, again, maybe this one is more innovative, kind of like you were saying, but I didn't have a better one for my number five spot. So I'm going to say it's Street Fighter 2, super ahead of its time, because it was it did... So many things so well in the fighting game genre, and even today, like its its influence is extremely apparent. And there are many things about this game that fight that are that have become standard for the fighting game genre. Love it. Yeah, this cool. is on a lot of lists. I was doing research. A lot of people obviously reference Street Fighter Two. It's uh, like okay. a a given. Um, so there's a couple games that I'm I'm sure. Uh, can easily put on this list that I've talked about numerous times in the past. I'll try to avoid some of those a little bit because you know, we talk about the same games over and over and over. Um, the first game I'm going to put on my list is Icewind Dale. This this game I haven't played in years. This I haven't played this game probably since it originally came out, which is like early 2000s. But I remember just being absolutely blown away by this game. Um, this is a role-playing RPG, kind of like uh, what is this comparable to? It, it was built off of the same thing as Boulder's Gate, or um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Dragon Age is is a little bit like it now, but there's a there's a better uh, Divinity right now is a really good representation of where the genre has gone. Baldur's Gate, I'm much more familiar with than, than Divinity. Uh, Baldur's yeah. Gate is, is a is a great comparison. So the the things that I appreciate about this game was the sort of the the opportunities that you had within the game in order to sort of you could do more or less whatever you want. Cause this was supposed to be treated almost like a D and D campaign where you could essentially do what you wanted with your characters. There was obviously like a general main story. There was like a, a general quest that you were trying to complete, but the game was relatively open. The characters were very interesting. I remember restarting multiple times just to kind of try different things or try different uh, specs or builds, I guess you could say. And I remember the dialogue though. It wasn't the best was still gripping enough to where I was actually interested in completing quests just to kind of see what the, what the post dialogue would be once the quests were complete. And this is something I've actually wanted to go back and play for quite a while. I just, I, I wanted to set aside some time to really dedicate to, to playing through it. But I, I just, I don't know, this game to me, it really just amazed me at the time. And I'd be very surprised if I played this game and I, I played this again. And I, I did not feel the same way about it. I could be wrong, but I don't know. I feel like this is a game that I that will truly enjoy playing once again. Hell yeah. Cool. All yeah, right, Chase. Number four? Yeah, here we go. Okay, number four. I've got... Oh, this is going to be awesome. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2. Interesting. Game... Yeah, for the GameCube and PS2. So it was developed by Dimps, published by Atari in North America back in 2003 what's interesting is it wouldn't get released until february 2004 in japan so this hit america first and the reason why it hit america first is people have been clamoring for um dragon ball games for a long time and the only one they got on the playstation was uh final bout and that was dragon ball gt final bout um and it had a bunch of content in it that most people weren't familiar with but by about 2003 
everybody had seen the entire Dragon Ball Z series that had been on Toonami and everything made sense. Um, and everybody just kind of ignored GT, even though the power-ups were still in all the games. So why why is Dragon Ball Z Budokai significant? It's a fighting game. Um, and the Budokai series was okay. I'm not going to say that it was great by any stretch of the imagination, but there was something about Budokai 2 that not only could you customize the, the person you were playing, like you could find equipment in the single-player game or through playing multiplayer, you would unlock stuff. Um, and you could you could put that on your character, um, so you could actually customize your own character to fight in a way that you wanted. But also, there was a countering system in this game that made it feel like you were actually playing, like you were actually controlling a Dragon Ball Z episode. Because how the counters worked is you would actually um, do that sort of time shift thing where, if you're familiar with Dragon Ball, like you actually just sort of like disappear and reappear behind them. Yeah, it's and a transmission. In in high enough uh, competitive play, that was happening six or seven times. Like, each person doing it. Like, so you're just countering the counter, 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 and eventually somebody lands that blow. Um, and it, it... You wouldn't see something like that again until this year with Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, like... Even even the later iterations of, of Budokai, there was a Budokai Tenshi, which is like this 3D arena sort of fight that Bandai was really fond of and has basically made every other one of their fighting games out of. I think I think that uh, Jump game, Jump Force, is going to be like a 3D arena fighter. Um, but uh, yeah, like to, to say that Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2 was like the best 2D Dragon Ball fighter for an extended period of time, I don't think that's a stretch because nobody even bothered trying. They just kept everything in the 3D realm for so long. Um, and it's it's taken until 2018 with uh, Dragon Ball Super being so big um, that they finally went back and realized, oh, like this property should be 2D. It should be animated and it works. Um, and that's why I think Budokai 2 was sort of ahead of its time, even though it was the right time and everything was working right. Like, they could have made a great 2D fighter, but, like, there was no way that Bandai uh, Namco was going to sort of let go of the rights to that to let a company like Capcom that was at the top of their game do it. Whereas now, I don't think it's as big of an issue because um, they got, I think it was Arc Systems to do uh, the, the development for it. And Arc Systems, they're like Blaze Blue, um, all kinds of, like, really, really good fighting games under their belt. So... That's that's one of the reasons why Dragon Ball Fighters has been such a success. Not only the brand recognition, but actually the good game that is underneath the hood of like all of the cool stuff that comes from Dragon Ball. That's interesting because when I played some of the older ones, I was not impressed at all. Maybe I played the wrong ones because I played some of the ones for for I think it was for PlayStation Two. Yeah, but I was not impressed. This new one completely blew me away. I haven't played it that much. I've watched a lot of it, but. That's that's good to hear that some of it, in your experience were a lot of them good or was it just no, select few? That's the problem is a lot of them weren't good. Okay. Whereas Budokai Two, which is one of the hardest ones to find, um, was really good in comparison. Like it, it felt it was a good feeling fighter, um, but but also like I don't know. I, for some reason they they would just they were they were turning them out and they've been churning like Dragon Ball fighting games out almost every year since right so like 
I don't know. I think they may have taken a few years off, uh, but once Super came back, they just kept doing it. So there was like Xenoverse, then Xenoverse 2, and now we're into Fighters. But now I think they figured out that Fighters is strong enough to stand on its own, so they're just releasing downloadable content. Gotcha. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, because it's 2018. Yep. Um, so that's what I got. All right. My number four, and this one, I... I... I really do feel like it was ahead of its time, but kind of in a weird way. Um, this is Loom, the point-and-click adventure game by LucasArts. The reason I think Loom was ahead of its time is that it feels like it feels like the adventure genre had been around for ten years, and somebody decided we have to do something different. Here's a different take on the on the point and click adventure game genre whereas really this came out at the very beginning of the of the heyday of of that genre and it was uh gosh it was LucasArts's like third i think point and click adventure game out of all the ones that they became famous for and, and made this was the only the the third or maybe fourth one but i i think it was the third one um, it's like, here's the adventure game genre. Oh, that's cool. Let's do something different. Like instantly. It's just, it kind of is really interesting to me how, like how this game came about when it did, because again, this is an adventure game and it, and it, they do away with the, with any sort of verb system. You basically can click on things or you can, um, uh, play musical notes to cast spells and that's all there is to it and again it just feels like somebody is like gotten tired of uh, of the adventure game genre maybe they really like the genre but they're trying to do something new and it's years and years and years later and let's say let's try this idea and see how it works except this just happened to come out like a year after that genre started to get really big all right we're down to oh no it's jade number four yep uh, my number four is Super Mario 64 uh, for the N64. Uh, this game obviously is incredibly well known uh, for many different reasons, but to me, this game it is it did so many things right. Oh, sorry, I think my mic screwed up. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, just to make sure. Sorry, this I have this new headset, so I'm still getting somewhat accustomed to it. Uh, this game did so many things right, and I feel like they took a lot of different risks that they didn't necessarily have to do, especially after coming off such a strong product with the Super Nintendo and a lot of the Mario titles that came with it. But this game did, so it was obviously, you know, a 3D game that had the ability to move the camera within reason. Obviously, there are certain restrictions on it. But I feel like they took such a bold step with this game and it was so well-received after it came out. Or at least, actually, was it well-received upon release? Mm. Or was it later on that it became more popular. Well, it was okay. Um, I'm just trying to remember if the 64 actually shipped with it or if you had to buy it separately. I think you had to buy it separately. Um, but it is one of the most respected games on that console. And I remember, like, I bought it the second it came out. It looks like it was one of the launch titles, depending on which region. Oh, sorry. Hold on one second. Maybe my mic. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I, I know that, like, I bought the system for this game. Like, this was, this was, and it was a big deal. But, I mean, 
in terms of hype, everybody else was excited about the CD format at the time. So I feel like other other companies or like other uh, magazines that weren't Nintendo Power may not have focused as heavily on it, whereas Nintendo Power was just singing its praise like crazy, right? It's a good way to put it. And what I love about it too is with Nintendo, I mean, we saw this with, with the most recent release of the Switch. It's like Nintendo not trying to do everything that everybody else is doing better. They're trying to do their own thing. And I yes. feel like the N64 and Mario 64 itself as, as a title were exactly that. And it's, I mean, like you said, this game is, is one of the most well-known titles and everybody knows that, that people speed run it and that it has all these bizarre mechanics and there's sort of like an openness to it where you can more or less do the game in just in, in, in many different orders depending on how you do it. And I, I feel like this game may have accidentally stumbled upon being exceptionally good at so many different things that I would be very surprised if Nintendo knew at the at the time of release that ultimately became this this crazy genre that I don't know, I think this game fits so well into this category. It's unbelievable. I wanted to put it higher on my list, but I thought this was a really obvious one. So I wanted to try and reserve some of the some of the higher spots for for some more different titles. Mm-hmm. No, like I uh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about this one, but um I mean, I know we're juggling between innovation and uh, ahead of its time. It yeah. was the it was the first successfully implemented, and I would argue like one of the best, especially in that generation, three D three D open world game, right? Yeah, like not not yeah, open world, like, not open world like uh, GTA three style open world, but like like big area. 3D moving around mechanics, right? So nothing else had even touched that. Nobody knew how to approach it. And Nintendo not only approached it and slam dunked it and defined the genre moving forward. And what I, what I love about this game too is you, you talk about the, the openness or the vastness of some of these levels, but even when you're outside of the levels, there's an openness to it, right? Because I mean, you're exploring this castle. There's all these different secrets that you can do from looking up at the sun to get to specific levels to all these different things that you can, that you can utilize within the castle itself that it's not even a level. It's like a level of its own, right? It's like got all this this openness or kind of you're talking about vastness to it. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it was all, all contained within like within each picture. Um, but, each yeah. painting, that's right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, um, and then the castle was just uh, its own painting, really. Um, but uh, yeah, man, God, love that game. That was such a fun game. I, st- I still catch myself like at least once a week watching somebody speed run it. Nice. All right, which who are we on now? Uh, it's you. <laughs> or, or, oh, sorry, it's Chase again. Chase oh, number, uh, number okay, three. Okay, so are we, yeah, we're on number three. Okay, yeah. so my number three. I'm just gonna get through this one quick. I don't expect anybody to know this one. Uh, so this is Sacrifice for PC. It was developed by Shiny Entertainment. It released November 2000. Um, okay, so Shiny were the guys behind Earthworm Jim, as well as uh, uh-huh. M- MDK, I think. Um, uh, not 100% sure, but like, uh, what this game is, is it's a third-person um, RTS, so real-time strategy, where what you do is you summon minions... Um, and how you like the, the resource for summoning those minions is souls. So you have to sacrifice the souls of your opponents on your altar, and then they are converted into energy that you can use to summon your own minions and, uh, sort of a weird concept for a game. When I say this is ahead of its time, I mean, like 
I don't think the time has come yet. <laughs> like this, there's, wow. there's never been a game like this. I'm not sure when there is going to be a game like this again. Um, but one of the things that you could do in this game that was super awesome is you could play through the single player game and you basically got to, um, you know how when you play through an RTS, you slowly roll back um, what you can do. So, like, if we're yeah. talking Warcraft, like, you start with, like, um, Swordsman, then you can get the Spearman, then you get, like, either a Paladin or, like, a yeah, Warrior. Yeah, you get higher tech over time. Um, as you're doing that, this game has, I think, one, two, I think it was, like, five factions. You can bounce between Jesus. factions in the story mode, which was voiced over, I might add, and had like really, really good story, like an interesting, engaging story. Wow. Um, including voice acting by Tim Curry. Um, <laughs> You're kidding so, me. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. Like this game made no sense. I don't know how it existed. Uh, and it's really hard to play now because it, again, it's the 3d polygonal graphics. Um, but at the time it was so awesome to play. Um, but so you, you progress and you get to choose like what your spells are and what units you're getting. Um, and you have to play a little game of politics because if you go too far, like and like literally politics, like th- imagine like a spectrum, if you go too far evil, then the people who are really good won't work with you anymore. You go too far good, then the people who are evil won't work with you anymore. So sometimes you have to sort of sit in the middle um, <laughs> and, and just like do the kind of wishy-washy that was sort of not good, sort of not bad thing. Um, and I would do that because, like you, if you went like full evil, you could you could get like a resurrection spell, which saved you a lot of time and trouble. Um, but then, like the high end good creatures, I really really like them. So then I would switch back up to to good because there are redemption arcs that you could do in the story. But more importantly, once you finished that, once you finished the single player game, you could use your custom made character in multiplayer. This is an RTS. Yeah, it's it's a wow. third person RTS, and that's really important because it can get really disorienting. Um, but uh, if you're okay with old school polygonal uh, graphics, the story is not bad, and it's uh, the the combat can be a little a little difficult. I'm not gonna lie; like actually controlling the combat can be like very very hard. And also, the the end of the game, the the last boss basically cheats. Um, of course, he, yeah. So it's it can be it can be tough, but um, it was an interesting experience at the time. Um, I've patiently awaited anything that was sort of like it, and I've never seen anything like it since. I was always sort of hoping that maybe there would be some kind of resurrection or something that would like come up that was like it, and I've never seen it. So like I feel this is ahead of its time. It was like it was timely at the time. It was sort of novel. But it was novel in a good way and and in a way that I feel like people could have learned lessons from and nobody grabbed it and picked it up and ran with it. So I've never seen another game like it. Sorry, what, what did you say it was called again? Sacrifice. Uh, so it's for PC. <clears throat> okay. I think it's it's definitely on Steam. It'll be on GOG as well. Wow. Sounds interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, but again, uh, combat isn't the most intuitive. So uh, just keep that in mind before you buy. Gotcha. All right, my number three is Wing Commander. Nice. Um, Interesting. We just talked about this game. Wing Commander? Did we talk? Is that, oh, no, I'm thinking of Pilot Wings. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, Wing Commander. <laughs> big, big difference. <laughs> Quite a big just difference. Just a little bit. Uh, came out in 1990. It's a DOS game. And uh, 
It is a uh, space combat simulator, and it's just it, it's one of the earliest space combat simulators, and definitely not, not the most um, in depth, but for its time, very very in depth. And uh, I think it's just super impressive what they did with this game at such an early time in the in the history of video games. Um, certainly, when you come when you compare it to games like um, X Wing and Tie Fighter, it doesn't have quite the detail and depth that those games have. But it came out you know three or four years before those did, and it also has really, uh, besides just the actual depth of the gameplay, it's a very early example of a space combat sim where it doesn't just launch you into the action. It's it's like, go to this checkpoint and that checkpoint and this checkpoint, that's your mission, and fight any bad guys that you might see and come home. And so you are in your, you know, it's, it's full 3D space and it's first person and you're just... You know, for a mission, for the you might be playing a mission. Maybe the first five minutes or so is just you just flying through space because nothing is happening yet. So it tries to make it really, really simulatory and realistic in that sense, where it's not just launching bad guys at you as soon as you begin a level. It tries to really make it feel like you are flying a mission and you're doing it for a while and you're doing your route and you just happen to come across bad guys. So that, again, combined with the, the detail that it does have at such an early time, I, I've always been really impressed with this game uh, since I played it. I guess the first time I played it was a couple of years ago for the podcast, and it just really impresses me, the, the things that they've done with this game. So that's my number three. Cool. Jay? Uh, my number three is Bahamut's Lagoon, which is a square soft, let's say square soft Um Game. The reason I brought, brought this game on the list is because of the combat. Um, I I can't think of too many games that have utilized the the combat style that, that's used in this game, and I, I really wanted to see somebody take this and run with it and improve on it and make it into something maybe a little bit more enjoyable. So the combat system essentially you have uh, when you're in combat, it's almost like Final Fantasy Tactics. So you're you have the grid and you're moving your characters around, and then when you get close enough to attack an opponent you get into a turn-based combat. So you, you, you're moving around the map, right? And then as you engage on an opponent, an opponent, excuse me, it turns into a turn-based situation. And depending on what your, your army size is as you're moving across the map, obviously, you know, you have that, that many units to, to have turns with um, as opposed to your opponents. I and, really love that system, by the way. Yeah, that is an awesome system. It's so it's so different, and it's it's something that I I have not seen really again. I haven't seen it very often, and I haven't seen it executed well. I will say one of the downsides to it is combat takes forever because yeah. every single unit that's on the map, every single turn has to do this. <laughs> oh, wow. and it, yeah, yeah, and it, it it becomes a huge, huge, huge time sink, and it can be very frustrating at times, especially when you know you're losing. So you're like, holy shit, I might as well just restart at this point because the, the maps are so long. But again, I don't think they necessarily did it perfect, but I wanted to see somebody take it and try to run with it. I think I think it is a style that, that ultimately could turn into something good if you tweaked a little bit of things, maybe maybe shortened up certain areas of it. And, you know, I don't know exactly what could be done with it, but I, I think there's definitely an opportunity there. It also had the 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 dragon system where your like your unit was attached to a dragon and that dragon dictated what types of magic you had access to as I well as... I vaguely remember that. Um, 
which was, I mean, yeah. the dragons were like, they were agents of chaos in that game. You never really knew where they were going to go or what they were going to do. You could loosely control them, but, um, but yeah, I, like the actual setup for the combat, the, when I first encountered that game, I just thought, why did nobody else ever do this? And the answer is because turns were so fucking long. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Like, but honestly, <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't mind playing a game like that, um, if, especially when I was younger. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And like I said, I mean, it's something that I'm I'm actually amazed that we haven't really seen somebody try to do it. Even even maybe in like a mobile, not that I really like mobile gaming, but maybe like a mobile or or like a Game Boy type game that that kind of did that. I mean, uh, Advance Wars sort of kind of tries to do that, but not really. It, it's yeah, like it's the not closest the thing that I've seen in years. Yeah, and even Fire Emblem, it's still not the same, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's not it's not a group of of people. It's just one person doing it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, awesome. Cool. Is it my number two then? Uh, yeah, Chase, your number two. Okay. So my number two, uh, this is a little-known game that nobody ever wants to talk about. It is Master of Orion 3. And so Ooh. this game was for PC. It was developed by Quicksilver Games, which is not Microprose, which did the original two uh, Masters of Orion. Um, and it was released in February 2003. I played a little bit of this game while I was in college. Um, and by college, I mean university. Sorry. Um, and it was awesome. We would try to play it on LAN, and it was horrible because the game was actually not good. Okay, so Master of Orion 3 is notoriously bad. Nobody likes this game. The reason why nobody likes this game is it has a bunch of under-the-hood under systems that aren't transparent that don't make a lot of sense um and you have to spend basically your first few turns of the game setting up what are effectively um the programming language for how your entire empire will run um what happens when you do this is it results in what are uh, what are basically like regents running parts of your empire when you're not paying attention to to colonies if your empire gets too big um just sort of making decisions on your behalf based on the standing orders that you've provided them but learning how to actually program your society uh to start with um sort of a messy affair now what's really interesting and why i feel that master of orion 3 is ahead of its time is it was attempting to do what good paradox games do now and that is pull the control back from you so you're not controlling everything and letting something sort of uh, be left to, like, chaos and regions. So, like, Robert, you can back me up on this one in your own way. Like, you can choose to talk about Crusader Kings or Europa Universalis if you want. Mm -hmm. But you know that, like, having limited control and having to make the hard decisions about the important parts of your empire is almost more enjoyable than having control over everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's like, and, oh, this 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 shit went down right here. There, here's a situation that you're all of a sudden uh, stuck with. You know, your heir uh, just embarrassed the whole realm, and he did this. What are you going to do? Are you going to punish him and... and uh, and you know, lose some prestige or whatever it might maybe yeah. depending on what game you're playing, or are you gonna let it fly and everybody's gonna hate you a little bit more, but you're gonna keep you, but you're gonna kind of re retain your status. Yeah. So Master of Orion Three was trying to do that crudely, and it failed. 
Um, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't get points for trying because it was trying to do something nobody else wanted to do and that nobody else would be willing to do until decades later. So that's why it's my number two. Cool. I like that one. That's a good one. That's, I that's don't a... encourage you to play it, though. It's not... Okay, I won't. Yeah, don't do it. Don't All do right. it. My number two is Flight Simulator. The first Flight Simulator game apparently came out in 1982, which kind of blows my mind because, I mean, the Flight Simulator games, as I'm sure you know, are essentially full flight simulators. They have the, you know, all of the cockpit controls as well as the flight physics that are required to fly an airplane. Um, And I guess the first... I guess my my dad bought one of these. I think it might have been Flight Simulator 3, possibly. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but even though I never enjoyed the game, I never really understood the the appeal of it, I was always very impressed by it. And (laughs) especially now, years later, considering when these came out, and there was nothing, I mean, really this detailed or technologically advanced as far as, you know, simulator aspects go at the time or even for a very long time after. Um, I've just always been really impressed by these games, even though I, I don't care for them at all myself. And I barely understand the appeal. I still am very impressed by them. I, that's what I was kind of wondering. I know last time we talked about simulator, you had a pretty negative uh because we had a pretty negative discussion, I thought. But yeah, I just don't get. I don't get the appeal of it. But I am always very impressed by by the detail and sure. just kind of how advanced they are. I got you. All right, Jay. Uh, my number two is Earthbound. Um, Earthbound is the reason it's on my list for a couple reasons. One, we we've talked about this numerous times. So you you take an RPG or an amazing 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 RPG, right? has turn-based system, and at the time, obviously, there was a lot of limitations with what systems could handle. So it was very hard for them to make a turn-based RPG with written text to be very exciting. It's very hard to, you know, at the time, it was, there, was only, there was certain limitations where they, where they could utilize in order to try and keep people's attention. So what Earthcon did to go above and beyond is they came up with bizarre-ass monsters with great music and amazing dialogue to go with it, and unique monsters. And you, you take these four things in addition to your classic turn-based RPG style, and you get an, an amazing adventure. Earthbound does so many things right that, to me, even today, if you took many, 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 many development teams and tried to have them compete with the same limitations that Earthbound had at its time, I don't think anything would compete with it. I, I think the dialogue, along with the ridiculous creatures that you face in that game, with the, the slight humor that you get at times, it's not the funniest game ever made, but there's a lot of times where you at least get a little bit of a chuckle or at least a smile out of it, just kind of based on the ridiculousness of it. And that Earthbound is just, I don't know, I feel like it was, it was light years ahead of, of its time. And it, to me, it almost feels like Aliens went, came in, made this game or released this game just to, just to kind of shock everyone at the time. And even today, I mean, even playing it, what, Robert, you and I played it, what, a year and a half ago? It was still... An unbelievably yeah, probably a little game. farther, a little longer ago for me, but yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, amazing game, I, and I, that's a really good. I never really thought of it in that um, context, in, in this particular context, but yeah, I think I, I, I do. I would agree with you on all that. All right, Chase, uh, what's your number one most ahead of its time game? 
Okay, are you ready for this? Are you ready? My number one is Earthbound for the Super no Nintendo. Way. Developed by <laughs> Labs and uh, and Nintendo and published by Nintendo in uh, in uh, 1995 in North America and 94 in Japan. 95. Yeah, isn't that crazy? 95. <coughs> so so here here is I'm I, like everything that Jay said, and I just want to throw a few more things in there. So what? earthbound is especially 1995 so like we have tons of square like powerhouse rpgs hitting or have already hit the system right we've got nx who's who's releasing uh, rpgs as well um what earthbound ends up being is it's a it's a subversion of the genre right everything else is set like even fantasy star uh for sega is like future but it's like fantasy future so everything's set in like this fantasy or this futuristic setting earthbound is earth right it like and it's present day and the monsters are just these goofy wacky things i mean like without spoilers like the end of the game you're just like okay well there's this big evil thing okay um but like but more importantly what what else it it, it was doing like so it's almost a satire of the genre yeah, like, that's a good it, way to put it. It's like it's mm-hmm. sort of poking fun at what's going on, which had never been done. Like, I, maybe it was just because there was never a history of RPGs long enough for them to be like, okay, well, this is kind of you know, like, why don't we make something that's fun and whimsical, but also sort of engaging and has something higher going on? Um, but also, it did like these really cool things that you don't always see. But um, one of the most important things, and like uh, Dragon Dragon Quest uh, did do this, is they would put enemies on the on the screen so you could choose to move around them if you wanted to. But Earthbound took it further. When you got stronger, when you walked into those enemies, you just beat them. That's so right. Grind- I forgot about that. So grinding yeah. wasn't just like you had to go through the fight over and over and over again. Like you just won. Um, additionally. Uh, they also had the the hit point counter. So what was really interesting, and this is something that I don't think you see anywhere else, even to this day, um, if you got hit in Earthbound and you knew that it was going to take you down to zero, if you were able to heal your person in time um, because of the way that the, uh, the hit point counter went down, you could actually bring your person back to life. And they did that on purpose. They knew what they were doing when they did it. So I don't know if you've ever tried this, but like, say you get hit and it's like a lot of damage, your your hit points will decline uh, at a at a certain pace. You can heal yeah. yourself and save yourself from dying. Another, like another, another thing, down. another thing you can do is, especially, I would do this later in the game, where I'm trying to preserve, you know, my like my MP as well as my healing stuff is if you can, you know, while your hit point counter is going down, if you can finish the fight real fast, then you exit the fight and it stops going down also. So you don't even yeah. have to heal. Oh, wow. I didn't know you could do that. Jeez, yeah. I, okay. I talked about this game, not uh, forgetting about a lot of this, but holy crap. This <laughs> it's just ridiculous how good of a game this is. We talk about this game so much on the podcast, too. What is so crazy is Pokemon just figured out the actual placement of enemies on the screen. Right, like Pokemon Let's Go just did it, 2018, and it's like it's it's becoming a lot of people's favorites because you can see where the Pokemon are. You don't have to grind through a million um, random encounters. Yeah, like it's 
and it's intuitive it's just like yeah put them on the screen then you can either avoid them or fight them if you want to um and like you give the player agency um it, it's not quite like chrono trigger where like the stuff's on the screen and maybe you might kick a stone and then you have to get in the fight anyway but like um it's you still have control right like it's uh it's a little more work for developers which i can understand why some people don't want to do it then but um like it it makes for a better game experience so that's my number one good choice that's <laughs> it's a good number win and it's a good number two yeah it's a good oh good number two there you go all right my number one is my number one is a pc game that came out in 1980 it's older than all of us. Older it? than all of us, yeah, yeah. This one is called Rogue, and you've probably heard of it. Yep. Um, the game that is uh, explicitly referred to when we refer to other games nowadays as Rogue Likes. Uh, this is the predecessor of, specifically, or I guess almost, almost most immediately, NetHack which is kind of like an advanced and improved version of Rogue. But uh, this this is a game that just uses... Uh, it's pure ASCII graphics, and you are an at symbol on the screen, walking around killing monsters that are letters, essentially, on the screen, and doing all sorts of weird, crazy things, Uh Involving finding tons of potions and items that you don't know what they do until you try them out. Uh, permadeath, of course. Uh, random level generation that you have to explore. All of the things that are, what, 30, almost 40 years later becoming or have become extremely popular tropes in video games. Uh, this game did it in 1980 and we are kind of just now getting back to this. And making games that do the exact same things, including having having stuff with permadeath, having very hard, uh, very high difficulty levels, having randomly generated levels, uh, you know, gameplay where at, where you can play it out a million times in, the, in a row and not have the same, you know, situation come up twice, or you know, not have the same exact experience, experience twice. Uh, also, including you know, like I said many roguelikes nowadays this is less this is less prevalent nowadays but it still is definitely there sometimes um you know the items and potions and stuff where you don't know what they do until you try them out and you have to test them out and then you learn and it could be something bad could be something good who knows there's only one way to find out that type of gameplay um this is i feel like almost objectively the most ahead of its time because this is a genre that is very popular now has kind of resurfaced really in the past three, four, maybe five years. And it's all, it all kind of harkens back to this game that came out in 1980. That kind of, that sort of blows my mind. All right. Um, who are we on? Me. Okay. All right. Um, so, sorry ahead of time, this is a more or less predictable one for me. This is a little bit tough. I was struggling to come up with some, some real justifiable uh, ones for this. And Warcraft just kept sticking in my mind for this one just because of, we're talking about ahead of the time. We've talked about innovation. I believe this actually may have been on my innovation list. Uh, but this is this is Warcraft there. I mean, you can talk about Warcraft 3 in a Chaos or you can talk about Frozen Throne. Um, this is an RTS that 
even to this day, we still reference. I mean, we, we just received the announcement earlier this year that this game is going to be remade. I mean, if, if they doesn't tell you enough about a game that it needs to be remade after 15 years due to the high quality of it, I don't think anything else will. I mean, this is a game with 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 decent. I mean, it has voice acting, right? So you have you have a very 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 strong story that is tell, told in a way that is capturing. You have voice acting that is, I would say, very good for the time. It's still enjoyable today. Um, you have an incredibly fun, somewhat balanced RTS with very intricate different races that all more or less have their own sort of benefits and, and uh, I guess positives and negatives, if you will. And all three, or of, of all the races, they all are, are exciting for their own reasons. So you have good story, you have incredible music, you have uh, a really good story to go with it, you have fun fun combat. And the, what, I love about, what I love about Warcraft in, in particular with the combat is you have the basic elements of an RTS, you are macroing a base, you are gathering resources, you're building an army. But then you also have this hero that has to walk around and gain experience. And when you gain experience, they gain levels, which allows them to gain more abilities. By the way, when you kill monsters, they drop items. The items can then be used to buy to sell at uh, shops, which you can buy other items. You can buy consumables. You have all these different things going on that, again, this is kind of what I talked about earlier on my list. There has not been a game that has tried to do this or tried to improve upon this since then. Thankfully, we're getting a remake of it, which I'm very happy that it's going to be a remake that is going to be the next time we see this this sort of format, because I think that is probably the best thing we could get for it. So we're going to have a more clean, we're going to have a little bit more refined graphics. I'm sure the controls are going to be a little bit smoother, and we're going to have some slight quality of life adjustments, which is pretty much all you can really ask for with this game. Yeah. In my mind, you really can't take this style and improve on it much more. I, I can't think of many ways that you can really take this style and, and try to add to it today. I think the best thing you can do is remake it and make it a little bit smoother. Very nice. I I yeah. think that's you make a strong point. It, it's it's tough. I mean, this is one of those ones that, that pops up on a lot of my lists. It's it's a tough one. I mean, it's such a good game and it evolved into so many different things beyond just the RTS itself. It's hard for me not to talk about this game enough because it's just such an incredible game. And and if you like RTSs or if you like you know just a strong story. Read the stories. Go on YouTube for for, for me. The the learning the the stories of the, the lore of Warcraft was not playing Warcraft three. It was going on YouTube and listening to some of the big YouTube stars that literally just go through and talk about the lore. Yeah, and that's huge. It, and it's it's, it's captured. Awesome. I mean, it absolutely captures me. And what's so fun is it when I listen to the lore, it revitalizes my interest in Warcraft three, in World of Warcraft, in all these different these these different games that incorporate it. And it's just. They, they had a home run with this, and it, it's just it's hard not to talk about it as much as we do, or as much as I do, I guess. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I love Warcraft lore. I love it. It's it's too good. It, it's overpowered. It's one of those ones where I just don't think a human actually came up with it. I think somebody just came by <laughs> and dropped a book and just kind of flew away. Yeah. Well, that I, flew away is is a word for it. That's what happens when like um, uh, like dozens of different people write. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, All right. Well, guys. Chase. Sorry, you go ahead. No, I was gonna say I I hear that you may have to be heading out. Yeah. Um. My kid's awake. My wife is not. So I'm gonna go deal with that. <laughs> you warned us. Yeah. Uh. It's uh. Yeah. It's one o'clock here. So I'm gonna go deal with that. And I gotta I gotta wake up in like. You know, like three or four hours anyway. So, oh my uh, gosh, you're an animal. Yeah, I know. So, uh, hey, you guys have a great night. Enjoy the email yeah. section. Uh, kind of ignore mine because I was expecting to be around for it. Oh, wait. Can you stay for just a few minutes? 
I, I can try. Robert, can you re can we rush to one email in particular? All right, rush to the one you sent. Is that Thanks, what you want? Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is a uh, subject line, very creative, classic gaming podcast email. Uh, this is from Jay. Oh, he- hello, dear. gentlemen, and Robert, <laughs> in parentheses. Nice. I like where this is going. Had to write in since Chase was on the podcast. It's the least I can do for all the emails he sent us over the years. Final Fantasy Tactics, World of Warcraft, RTSs, dot, 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 yep. Question nice. of the day. If you could experience one game for the first time again, what would it be? Thanks for all you do. Best. There Going you go. in virgin. Going in virgin. I would love... Oh, man. You know what? I would love to play Street Fighter 2 again for the first time. Wow. Ooh, that's a good one. Because, like, it is... It stands up so well um, that, like forgetting everything that i know about fighting games and just touching it again oof, oof. yeah yeah that would take me there i would have to give i would have to give this some thought but i would probably say either europa universe alice 4 or probably more likely the one probably my choice would be starcraft 2 Ooh, that's a good one yeah, yeah. Good one too. starcraft that's 2 good. just so many i mean or starcraft 1 for that matter but i i Kind of StarCraft 2, had, I had the same feeling playing that as when I did StarCraft 1 for the first time, which is, oh man, there's so much stuff to do. There's It's such a, you know, generally well-balanced game. And oh, look at this. There's three races to play as. <laughs> uh, for me, it would probably be Final Fantasy X, um, partially because the story is just so gripping and the, the main twist plot is the first time it, that I experienced it. I nearly had a breakdown. It was so perfect, and it got, I had no idea that it was coming, so it got me really good. And on top of that, I loved, I loved the accelerated turn-based combat, in addition to the Sphere Good, which I know a lot of people aren't, aren't really didn't, don't enjoy the Sphere Good very much. But the first couple times I played through that game, I loved the Sphere Good. I loved kind of working my way through the tree and, and getting to those key abilities and experiencing for the first time. So... I would love to experience that game again for the first time. It's such such a good experience. It's such such a fun experience. Awesome. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right, Chase. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me, thank guys. You. And uh, thanks for the email. That was, uh, that was unexpected <laughs> and awesome. Um, I, love, I love the thanks for all you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for all that you guys do. And, um, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Uh, sorry, I got to uh, duck out a little early, but uh, yeah. no <laughs> he is he's starting to shout. I, how is my wife not awake? Um, so I'll talk to you guys <laughs> later. Take All care. Right, we will see you around. Yeah. Bye. Listen to uh, I'll tune back in soon. Bye. Okay. Um, all right. I guess you want to jump into emails and we'll, we'll wrap off the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, then our next top five is our uh, personal top fives of 2018, which is... Uh, Purely our two thousand, purely related to the podcast, we will do our top five favorite games that we played for the podcast this year that we had never played before. Our top five. Do you want to do top three for these, or should we stick to top five? Since we're doing what three is the, what lists, is this, sorry, what's the top three? It's, it's, it's our it's our uh, best games that we played this year for the podcast that we that we had never played this before. Then 
best games we played for the podcast this year that we had that we had played before, and then worst games that we played for the podcast. I would say top three for sure. Yeah, let's do. I was about. Yeah, okay, good call. Let's do three. Um, since we're doing three damn lists. All right. So again, top three that we had played, top three that we had not played before, and top three or worst ones that we played this year. Okay. And uh, that will be our last episode of 2018. All right. Emails. We got a few more. Got a few more. Got a few more. I'll start off. This one comes from uh, NOS. NOS says, hello, Robin J. I hope your, uh, I hope your podcast today is going well. I've just started listening to your podcast a month ago and I've been listening to random episodes that had an appealing title with games I have interests in. I listened to about three episodes per day. Wow. That's wow. Fucking impressive. (laughs) Four days a week during my 11 hour shifts at work. I love what you guys do. Wow. Yeah. 11 hours. Damn. I love what you guys do, and it really and it has really made work much more enjoyable. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, anyways, Thank you for that. yeah, that really that really does that really is good to hear. I've heard Rob mention how much he loves the older SimCity games, SimCity 2000 to be exact. In a few episodes, I was curious if he has ever heard of Cities Skylines. To me, Cities Skylines is what SimCity 4 should have been. It has very similar mechanics, but does everything right. From zone management to running the plumbing and power to neighborhoods and budgeting your growing metropolis metropolis has never felt better. You can watch your houses and businesses grow and change in real time and upgrade to have better aesthetics and provide better boosts to the surrounding area to make you feel like you are really succeeding as a mayor to your city. I too have been waiting for another great city game like SimCity 2000 and this one has completely filled the void. Uh, yes, NOS, to answer your question, I, I, I own City Skylines, and it is a very good game. Uh, my only problem with it is, eventually, after playing for long enough, it becomes very, very easy, as, uh, from, from, like, a man, from, if, like, the management perspective of the, of the sim angle, where it's like, you almost don't even have to worry about anything anymore. And as long as you're not doing something just super stupid, you can kind of play, you can, you can just keep on playing without even having to think about taxes or where, you know, the residential areas are going to be and that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, that's always present to some extent, but there's, there's almost no challenge insofar as that goes, as long as you're playing, you know, like as long as you're just using common sense with, when you play, which is not sure. necessarily a bad thing, but to me, that's what made it not have tons of longevity. Um, but on the other side of that is, it, the game is fantastic as just a straight-up city builder um, minus the management aspects. So when you're building your city and deciding what's going where and all that kind of stuff, like you said, watching it grow over time, turn, watching it turn into a metropolis is really cool. Your city looks the, the, the something about the way they've made the game look your city always ends up looking fantastic it's really fun to look and see just kind of how it visually looks over time um that's that part of it it's, it's like a city painter almost it's like wow this look i'm gonna put some stuff down and see how cool my city looks um doesn't have the challenge that i like in games like these 
But then again, SimCity 2000 doesn't have a ton of challenge either. So yeah, very good game. I, 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 I agree. Um, NOS says, as for retro gaming, I was wondering if any of you have played Way of the Samurai 2 for PS2. Jake? Mm, no. Uh, if, he says, if not, I was wondering if you would be interested in playing it and review it for one of your episodes. It's a highly underrated game that I have many fond memories of playing. Uh, I'll check it out. I'll type it up here so I don't, so I, so I at least remember to look into it. Um, Watch that video right now. NOS says, It's an action slash story based game as you, a ronin, arrive in the city of Amahara in the 19th century Japan. You free roam around the city, which consists of about 10 different locations. Each time you go to a new location, the time of day changes. You have about 10 days to explore these locations to make money, defeat people in sword fights. You can fight just about anyone. Wow. And as you defeat opponents, you collect different weapons and can use them on your journey. The game has about 10 different endings, depending on who you help and interact with. Certain events only happen on certain days and times, sort of like Majora's Mask, meaning it will require multiple playthroughs to collect all weapons, outfits, and masks and endings. I think it's a great game, but I never heard, but I never hear anyone talk about it. It sounds cool the way you've described it. My question for today is, what are you guys looking forward to the most about gaming 10 years from now? With technology, graphics, and AI getting better every year, surely gaming in the future can only improve. Uh, he says, I am personally looking forward to the advancement of VR technology. Yep. I think it's from my mind, I was going to. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, go ahead. I own, he says, I own the, the Oculus Rift, and I have thoroughly enjoyed many games such as Skyrim in VR. The immersion has been incredible, and I believe we are on the cusp of providing a comfortable and affordable experience for the average player in just a few more years. We've come a long way since that Nintendo abomination that we won't speak of. Um, anything else besides that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where my head's going. I mean, I look at a lot of a lot of games, especially MMOs. I think of MMOs for me as the most exciting thing for the future, especially with VR. I mean, think about you know we always look, watch like Dot Hack Sign or uh, which you know you basically I'm gonna get home, I'm gonna put on this helmet, and boom, I'm inside the the world, and I'm logging out with my friends. My friends are there, you know, and it's just the day that that happens is the day that my life ends. That's the day that I no longer exist in the real world in, in the simplest form. Uh, I'm super excited because it sounds amazing at the same time. Also scared of completely just becoming a complete degenerate, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I should, I should be all right. Well, we'll see. I'm looking forward to, uh, for me, it's VR honey pop. Oh my God. Yeah. VR porn is going to be insane, but yeah. <laughs> no, uh, honestly for me, for, uh, the, the thing I look forward to is more, and this is, this is one of the kind of things he he, he suggested, is is more ai related stuff that's oh. true oh man i'm actually scared about that imagine when tournaments for for esports go from being human versus human to human versus ai where the ai wins 99.9999 percent of the time yeah i wasn't really thinking of of it in that respect oh, but i mean terrifying. that's 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 true also um but what i'm thinking of is and and this is you know i talked a little bit that, that there's i've been working on game development for a little bit while now. And this is also true for a lot of, well, I don't know necessarily a lot of, but for some roguelikes and, and games like that, where there are a lot of, um, I guess I would, I would say like autonomous AI controlled characters 
doing their own things. Yeah. Having them, having the AI on those be not even necessarily more advanced, but just faster is going to be pretty big because just pathfinding and really specifically pathfinding is kind of a big topic in roguelikes and this type of game development in general, because path pathfinding is a much more complicated thing than you kind of think of when, you know, until you sit there and try to write down pathfinding algorithms on your own or even not even on your own, but even using some of the best pathfinding algorithms that have already been figured out that are out there. They are still some of them, very uh they require a lot they require a lot of of your of the resources of your pc they take up a lot of time and being able to speed that kind of stuff up is uh i i think is going to be kind of a huge deal at some point yeah i can see that so uh yeah that's that's from my perspective, that's kind of the, the the thing that I'm looking forward to is kind of AI in general and specifically, honestly, just pathfinding. So we can have, you know, maybe a hundred things on screen trying to go a hundred different places and are not slowing the computer off to a halt with them trying, trying to do all that. Uh, NOS says, I'm sorry if my first email to you guys has been a little long. I will try to make one recommendation and one question for every episode in the future. Keep up the great work, both of you. I've loved every episode. Sincerely, NOS. Thank you. Awesome, Seriously. yeah. Thank you, yeah. We really do appreciate it. Um, Jay, you up for taking one? Yeah. Uh, pull up our Google Docs. I'll paste it on here. Uh, can you send me a link again? Yeah, I'm, um, yeah, let me pull it up. Thank you. This one, oh, here we go. This is from uh, Father Beast. Subject line is top business sims. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Father Beast says, hello. Oddly enough, this is Father Beast. Uh, when you announced the category of top five business simulation games, I was ready to jump right on that, and I knew exactly what my number would be, or my, excuse me, what my number one would be, but I failed to come up with any others. After your episode where you guys listed yours, I realized what my problem is. I haven't played that many of this type of game. Robert and I actually talked about this initially. Uh, enough, Robert, I actually kind of expressed the same thing to Robert because yeah. I was concerned. I was concerned that I hadn't played enough, and then we kind of ran through some of the popular titles, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I would qualify. And then ultimately, you know, our list, my list went from being two to three to like seven, eight, nine almost. So hmm. I completely understand that. Uh, Father Beast continues on by saying, it's kind of too bad since this is the kind of thing I really get into. The ones I have played, I haven't gotten very far, and I have no excuse besides being busy playing other stuff like really Civilization. Anyway, my top uh, that was, four... No, you broke up for a second. He, that was uh, like, like Civilization that he said. Oh, okay. Uh, like, like probably Civilization, yeah. Anyway, here are my top four business simulation games. Number four, SimCity. My early experience with SimCity is playing someone's copied floppy disks. It had the copy protection where it would ask you a question you had to use the manual to answer. But if you would, but 
if you failed, it wouldn't exit the game. It would rain down earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, <laughs> and other disasters on your city. <laughs> I was fascinated and kept playing anyway. Later in life, I would buy SimCity Classic on CD-ROM, intending to play it without all the disasters, but I never did, probably because of number three, SimCity 2000. Wow, what an improvement and so many options. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I got distracted making a custom map for way too long, and I went, when I went to play it, I got distracted with something else. <laughs> number two, Sim Theme Park. I got this cheap somewhere and played it for a little while, enjoying it enticing people to spend money at my park, even though I could only build a bounce house and a tilt-a-whirl. I never got beyond the <laughs> earliest levels. The only reason I rank it higher than SimCities is because I played it for longer. I love how it's just, I imagine this this theme park and people are going there and there are two rides, a tilt-a-whirl yeah. and a bounce house. Bounce house. And number one, Transport Tycoon. Now this one I played mm, extensively. I've heard good things about this. I actually, I haven't heard much about this to be honest with you. Um, Father Beast goes on to say, I told you guys about it on a previous episode, how I played the demo in a software store for three hours at a time. I didn't even <laughs> yeah, own a yeah. PC. <laughs> how I bought it on sale at Walmart, and then when the sound stopped working because I upgraded to Windows 98, and how did I guest, how did a guest podcast, how I did, excuse me, how I did a guest podcast focused on this game for the Upper Memory Block podcast. It's awesome, and I have open TDD. A, the free remake installed on three machines at home right now. Well, that's it for now. Still listening, Father Beast. Awesome. Thank you as always, Father Beast. Yep. Thank you very much. Next one comes from Bo. Uh, the subject line is December already. He oh, says, stop it. <laughs> was it? Have you done all your Christmas shopping, Jake? No, it's, it's freaking three weeks till Christmas. Shut up. <laughs> Bo says, what's up, guys? Hope you've been... Uh, well, as always, I'm really struggling with the past two top fives, honestly. Even with examples of games I don't get the the appeal of, I guess I'm still too open-minded to really not find an avenue to accept why someone likes a game. Except maybe postal-type murder-for-murder-sake games. And maybe Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But even Five Nights at Freddy's, I get there are masochists and less players out there. Uh, and some deep lore theory crafting communities. Postal, from my limited knowledge, I guess, could be seen as a healthier way for a sociopath to get out their murder urges. But still, I don't get why some of that, by why that type of game exists. Oh, perhaps, quote, bad games that people play just because they're bad. I don't get that at all. Too many good games or even okay games that would get the same experience that need the love instead. Hasn't anyone seen the angry video game nerd movie? We don't want to teach companies to make bad games because it's in style. I don't know. I still do appreciate a nice, really good, bad game every now and then. Probably uh, more so than I, but yeah. The one that comes to mind immediately is Tender Loving Care, which I played. It might have been earlier this year. Either that or it was at some point last year. I can't remember. But uh, some like really terrible games, I, I like playing sometimes just so I can go on about how bad they are. I, I don't think if if I wasn't doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't be as interested in, in them because I wouldn't have a, a venue to rant about them so much. So maybe that's that's why. Uh, Bo says I keep forgetting what this week's was, and I had written top five games. I had written top five games to eat nachos while playing in my nose. <laughs> Somebody stoned. 
Like, you know what I mean? That, that's, that's pretty funny. I guess that's what it comes down to. Um, eat nachos ahead of its time. Same thing, right? <laughs> I would rather do a top five on that. I could do nachos with cheese, nachos with jalapenos, nachos with sour cream, guacamole, black olives. Are we going to have to do this now? It's top five games to eat nachos to? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be games that your hands have to be relatively free. It's got to be things like that are turn-based, like Hearthstone. You're like, all right, I can just dust off my hands and do my turn and then go back to eating nachos. Or, you know, DOA Beach Volleyball. <laughs> they designed it so you can play with one hand. Well, you know where that other hand's going. Oh, yeah. Right into them nachos is what you're saying. Right, right? on the joystick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Earthbound would work for that because you could actually play Earthbound with just one hand. That's true. Because, like, the L button... Oh, the L button doesn't... Isn't it like the L button does so much stuff? Oh, man, you'd think how much I play the game, I remember that, but I don't. Yeah, there's something, I remember, like, some way, some, somehow they use the L button in such a way that, like, you can, you could use the D-pad and the L button for almost everything, I think. I don't remember. Maybe I could be making that up, but I, I remember there's being something like that. Anyway, uh, Top Nachos, and he says, I had to uh, pick, I had to pick, I'd go, I'd, I had to pick, I'd got with in no particular order uh i don't know what the hell that means but colon if i had to pick this is how it'd be in no particular if i had to pick i'd go with in okay yeah probably that's probably what he meant uh colon shadow run snes secret of mana and slash or evermore ang band and zelda 2 and these are the games that are ahead of their times that he's saying um I would. I really hope to play Angband sometime soon, because I'm such a big roguelike fan. But I haven't played Angband yet. Uh, but let's see, Shadowrun. Actually, I. I don't see how Secret of Mana. I don't see how that makes this list. But hey, whatever floats your boat, Bo. Uh, I know whatever I had a con. Yeah. Tuh. He says I know I had a conversation with my friends about this topic not a month ago. But as normal, my memory fails me entirely. Anyway, looking forward to episode 177. I mean, 117. He's saying that because I accidentally wrote 177 on Twitter. Oh, nice. Uh, WTG Chase keeping... what's Oh, way to go, Chase, keeping them honest on Twitter. Take care, Bo. All right, last one is from Chase the Night Cleaner. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to hang around for the reading of his own email. We should have made him read his own email. Damn it. I, I was going to. That's, what I, that's exactly what my plan was, but he had to head up. Subject line is, what an episode to write an email for. Hello, gentlemen. Chase the Night Cleaner laying down another, e- another small email for you to enjoy. We will keep this one short and sweet, so let's just jump into the question of the day. If you could ask Chase the Night Cleaner one question, what would it be? Ooh. What's the best night you ever cleaned? Right? Eh, I think what I would ask. I'd, I'd ask him for, for a real good, dirty cleaning story. Like one of his most memorable, <laughs> like when people ask him, like, what's the worst part about your job? Like, you know, the stories you have, like when I used to work at Subway, like somebody one time pooped in their hand and put it in, this, in one of the ceiling tiles. Like that. Wait, wait, that wait. Did that, that, that actually happen? Or are you just like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had some, oh, some terrible. Oh, wow. This is like 12 oh. years ago. Yeah. yeah, 
I had somebody else who, who you know, the the toilet bowl where the brush resides, that bowl. Somebody took a dump in there, like and then, <laughs> the toilet brush thing. Yeah, and like the holder for it, and then they yeah. proceeded to put the brush back in there. So when I went to go clean the bathroom, I like pick up the wand, <laughs> and there's just this turd on the end of it coiled around it. And I just dropped the wand on the ground. I'm like, what the hell? And this is like my third day in, and I'm just like, this is what <laughs> oh, I have man. to experience every day. That's that kind of story. I want to hear that kind of story from Chase. I'm sure he has some horror stories. I would, I yeah, I think those would be those are some good ones. Uh, those are probably that'd probably be what I would have to go with too. If not that, then I would say, who's your favorite uh, host of the Classic Gaming Podcast? Oh please, the one time I did, I'm sure he's like right there with me. <laughs> um, he says, I hope uh, by this point of the show, it makes sense that this email would be so short. Thanks again for everything you do and keep us and keep up the great work, gentlemen. Regards, Chase the Night Cleaner. All right, Jay, that does it for emails. Let's wrap up this bitch. Um, current gaming subcast. What you what you banging them keys on? Not a whole lot right now, actually. I, I played a lot of Roller, Roller Chris Tycoon over the last uh, week or so. That's been pretty much the extent of what my uh, my gaming days have been, unfortunately. I haven't been able to spend too much time doing anything else right now. Work's been crazy, so. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. you told me you had to work like a shitload. Yeah, I worked at obscene amount hours, but I think I'm going to be able to afford a Switch because of it, so... Hell yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my motivation for it. Um, I I finished uh, Return of the Oberdin, which I talked about a little bit last time. It's the game where there's a ship that had gone out, and it was... Uh, and basically, it, it floated back to port with... And everybody on it was dead. And you're trying to uh, figure out what happened to each individual person on a case-by-case basis. And you have this uh, magical stopwatch, and you can go up to a dead body and use it, and it will show you the exact point in time that they died. It'll show you all the scene all around them, all the things that are happening at that time. Again, it's like a... It's a... It's fully... It's it's a 3D game. You're walking around and controlling the character in first person, but when you're investigating any scene, it's like everything is frozen in time that you're walking around checking out. Uh, but also you hear, like... It, it plays the sound of what was happening at that time. So it might be five or 10 or even 15 seconds worth of sound effects and people talking to each other and stuff like that going on. So you kind of hear what's going on. You hear people talking and then you get to see the scene and walk around and sort of inspect it. And there are, there were 60 people on board and for each individual, for every single one of you, you have to, you have to decide, you have to first off figure out who was who. So it was like, okay, this guy, was the first mate this guy was the fucking fourth mate this guy was this particular um irish topman uh this guy was on the gun deck and he was a russian you, you have the full list of people and you have to decide you have to figure out who every single individual person was plus how they died and who killed them so this person was shot by this other person or this person was killed by a beast or this person was stabbed or decapitated or drowned by this other person. Um, this game takes quite a while to finish. Uh, and you can even finish it without... There, there's a point where you can, like... If you don't get 100% of all the people, you can finish it. And it counts as you beating the game. But it leaves out um, a chapter of the story. So as you're seeing how people died... It's also, you also have this, you have a magical stopwatch. Like I said, you also have like a magical book. And whenever you view a person's death, then it 
fills in that chapter of the book and it does it all in order. So you, once you kind of view all these deaths, then you can kind of flip through the book and see, kind of look at everything in order and kind of get a, an idea of the actual story that happened and all the things that occurred and like what's actually going on that caused every single person on board this boat to die. Well, there's one chapter that you don't get to view. It's like the eighth out of 10 chapters. You don't get to see this one unless you do uh, find out 100% of all of the people and how they died. And you know, basically you can't see this chapter unless you 100% the game. Um, so that's what I was going for. And I eventually did. And um, fantastic game. This game was great. It was super challenging, super interesting. The story was really good. The puzzles were awesome. Uh, I really don't have anything bad to say about this game. The The only thing that I would say is you have to really be committed to a, to really like looking around and t being able to take your time and be patient and figure things out. If you're, if you're, if you think you may be interested in this game, if that sounds like kind of like too much work that you feel like doing for a video game, then I totally understand that. But this probably just isn't a game that you want to check out for me. This is, uh, you know, I like games like this. I thought it was really fun to try to figure out, like, how, how in the heck am I supposed to figure out who this guy is and go around, look at clues all over the place, that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty time-consuming, but for me, it's worth it. Also, the graphical style is really interesting. Just just do a Google search of Return of the Oberdin and you'll see what I mean. It looks like as if... Any given screenshot is like from a super old computer, but everything's in like perfect 3D. So as you're moving around, uh, it kind of, I, I, it, it, I, I can't really describe it. You just have to just look at it and it, but it, it, to me, it looks awesome. Uh, and also finally the, the sound effects and the voice acting, I think are two very overlooked aspects of this game because I've heard a lot of people talk about this game and talk about how good it is, how hard it is, how interesting the mysteries are and how kind of interesting the story itself is. But I don't hear many people talk about the sound effects and voice acting, which are absolutely top notch. Um, I, I can't say too much without giving away spoil. I'm trying to keep this as spoiler free as possible, but I, I would just say all of the sound effects, all of the waves crashing, all of any, really unexpected things that you might encounter all of the people talking. It sounds 100% authentic all the way through the game. Um, that's one of the most impressive things about the game to me. I thought it was extremely well done. This is honestly one of the best games that I've played in quite a while. So, wow. Yeah. I really, really highly recommend this. If this sounds like a game, th this game definitely isn't for everybody. If this sounds like something that may interest you, it probably will. It is a fantastic game. Very extremely well done. Hmm. That's all I've got for the current gaming subcast. Um, other than that, we uh, we will be back in two weeks. We are recording our last episode of the year on December 18th, which is a Tuesday. As a reminder, we will be discussing our game of the quarter on that episode. Our game of the quarter is Giants Citizen Kabuto. Uh, this is the game of the quarter is where we uh, d determine a game ahead of time that we're going to play. Jay and I are both going to play it. 
anybody who's listening is welcome to also play it and write in their thoughts about the game as well. So this is kind of the four, one out of four times a year that we, uh, that Jay and I and various listeners, whoever wants to, will all be playing the same game so we can kind of have different thoughts on the same thing. So if you want to take part in that, again, that's Tuesday, December 18th, where we will be discussing that. And the game is Giants Citizen Kabuto. Um, everybody, check out Chase's podcast, Learn From Gaming. He, uh, As you heard, he had to head out a little bit early. Um, aside from that, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Tell all your friends to check us out because... Uh, because... That's that's how we find that's how people find us is by finding us randomly or hearing about us. So it helps us out a lot if you can tell other people to listen to the Classic Gaming Podcast. Send us your emails, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. That's where you can talk about Giant Citizen Kabuto if you want to, or whatever the hell else you feel like. You can follow us on Twitter at Class Gamescast. I'm at King Octavius. Jay's a Luddite. Jay, anything else to say before we go? No, I think you did your excellent job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, Jay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you all in two weeks for the last episode of the year 2018. Take care.